G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Gull, fueling your mission. Pop into your local for some good value fuel. Gull.nz. Here to get you through your workday. This is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. It is four minutes after 12. You are listening to SENZ. Mark Watson with you. Looking forward to having your company through to four o'clock this afternoon. Yes, Watto is in the house. Telephone number 0800 150811. What do they call us? Midday madness on a Friday, don't they? Your chance to have your say. Jump on the phones. Let's light this bad boy up. Let's go for it. Uh, text service is double eight double three. I will say this, I think talkback is a better experience when you get on the phone and have your say. Feel free to disagree with me, feel free to abuse me, more than happy to. Because as long as you're doing that, I know I've done my job because I've got a level of engagement, whether it be positive or negative. Uh, look, some of the issues, and I still want people to have their say again on the Auckland 1A comp, these schools saying, look, no more televised coverage of our first 15 games. Uh, There seems to be a lot of conspiracy theories out there that potentially in the background there's going to be a National Schools League set up. My understanding, knowing Pat Drum at Mount Albert Grammar School, the reasons given are the reasons. And you will not see the Auckland 1A sell itself off to another broadcast partner They just simply don't want the pressure being put on these young men and potentially young women in the future. I've always said this. I was lucky enough to do the first two years of schoolboy rugby on Sky. In fact, I remember vividly the very first game. Myself, Keith Quinn, Bull Allen, Ken Laban, and it was my old school, Mount Albert Grammar, against Auckland Grammar at Auckland Grammar School. Started with the best intentions all about tradition and history and the players that have gone through in the past. But then it became a bit of an arms race, driven by the likes of St. Kennigan and then by King's College. Um, I think historically, uh, schools like Auckland Grammar were probably guilty of it uh, in the 1980s, but using very different methods than just straight-out scholarships. Under John Graham, If you wanted to get into grammar out of zone, you basically had to be outstanding at sport or brilliant academically. And there was such a desire to get in, he could pretty much cherry pick. But I think what people are missing here is that schoolboy rugby, it's suddenly become, and this is where New Zealand rugby still just don't get it in regards to sustainability. It's killed club rugby. It's become, it's seen as the stepping stone to higher honours. I mean, I say this cynically, but I think New Zealand rugby believe the All Blacks will be okay as long as King's College and St. Kennigan's are okay. Where there used to be a statement when Auckland rugby strong, All Black rugby strong. Probably in more recent times when Canterbury rugby strong, All Black rugby is strong. What we have seen, though, is the slow erosion of senior club rugby for a whole lot of reasons. Um, concussion, another one. But it's almost like, well, if you haven't made it at school, you're not going to make it, so why bother? 
And what I'd like to see is club rugby being televised. That should be the televised event. Have your club rugby competitions within your provincial unions and then potentially have a national club comp. And the good thing about club rugby is it takes size out of the talent equation. See, a lot of kids that are really, really good at school that get identified are really, really good because they're just simply bigger than a lot of other kids. And they use that size to basically bully their way through. And I think part of the reason why Auckland rugby has been ordinary for such a long period of time is because of that. A lot of the talent that's been identified through school ultimately ends up being one-dimensional because as they get to the senior rank, size is no longer a factor. So where do you sit on this one? I, I haven't had a chance to gauge people's opinions. Is this just political correctness gone mad? Do you see this as just being woke? Or are you in agreement with it? 0800 150 feel free for somebody to kick this off. And can you see this happening around other parts of the country? The Super 8. I mean, if you want to, you know, I pick a lot on King's College and St. Kennigan's, but Hamilton Boys High School, in my opinion, is just a Chiefs provincial team. You know, they just pick and choose and cherry pick from right around the Bay of Plenty, Rotorua, uh, Mount Monganui, Tauranga region. And there's part of the reason why they've also been so dominant and not just in rugby, but also in sports like rowing. 0800 is the number. Uh, another interesting article that I read, and I wasn't aware of it, because I'll be honest, I don't watch the breakdown on Sky. Oh, it, it, to me, Sky are just a public relations firm for New Zealand rugby. Very little opinion. Um, the only ever sort of controversy that's brought up, not actually ever against the administration. No one ever asked the hard questions. It's it's. Um, in fact, you're not allowed to ask the hard questions on Sky. You won't get a gig because, as I said, they're just a, a PR arm for New Zealand rugby. But Mills Malina on the breakdown coming out and saying that it's okay for the All Blacks to lose against Scotland. Hamish Bidwell in Rugby Pass, really good article, just scratching his head saying. Have we got to this point, really? We've got former All Blacks actually saying it's now okay for the All Blacks to lose. And unfortunately, we're getting there, aren't we? And what part don't New Zealand rugby get? How moronic are they? You know, can't see the damage they've done to schoolboy rugby, uh, to club rugby, sorry. Can't see the lack of engagement in the MPC and the fact that nobody's turning up to watch it. You know, maybe 8,000 turned up to watch Canterbury play Wellington in the final. Somehow think it's okay for the top All Blacks to be rested and rotated throughout Super Rugby so that we then build a model similar to what we do with the MPC. And part of the reason people don't watch the MPC is because no All Blacks are there. No stars are there to watch. And so all we're doing is we've put everything in the all-black basket. And now, they don't even care if the all-blacks start losing as long as they win the World Cup. So we've used rugby to once every four years, and within that, it, it, it's, it's appalling. Is it okay for the all-blacks to lose? Have you shifted that? 
Have you shifted to that state of mind? Does a nation no longer mourn if the All Blacks lose? And when is New Zealand rugby going to realise they are killing the game here? And why can't they see it? Why can't they see it? Is it just about the bottom line now? Is it just all about the money? You've got to have top down, but man, you've got to have bottom up. 0800 150 811 is the number. Hi, Dave. G'day, Wado. Happy Friday. Hey, look, um, yeah, I still care if the All Blacks uh, lose. Uh, there's three, three certain things in life. Death, taxes, and the All Blacks always used to win. Correct. But, um, yeah, I'm not, into, I'm not into this mediocrity. It's okay to lose because it's in the big picture. We, we shouldn't lose. That's our, that's our thing. That's our benchmark around the world. You know? Well, well, it's, um, it's appalling. It's appalling coming from Mills Malayena. I mean, come on, the guy's been in the environment. He should understand more than anybody that a nation mourns. Look, you don't. You don't no one should go out and do anything thinking they're not going to win. You, you go out and you're in your head. You're going to win. If you don't, you put in your best effort. But you go out to win. That's why you do sport, uh, do races, play games. You know, that's why you do it. You know, with the schoolboy rugby, I think it's good they knocked us on the head. It should be club rugby, and then they should go from high school to club rugby and then to their provinces, get rid of super rugby and go back to NPC. And then from NPC, we pick the uh, All Blacks. And then school shouldn't poach players. It makes it more even around the country. You get a more even um, competition, you know. Otherwise, you know, people need to go to a zone to go to a school. That's rubbish. Just stay where you were. Richie McCaw didn't move to Christchurch to become a great rugby player. You know, we, and like you say, from the bottom up. And then they learn as they go, not thinking they're tin gods and they should be paid to play, you know, rugby when they first come to a, a super franchise from high school. It's a load of rubbish. Well, I, I remember talking to the coach of, I think it was College Rifles some years ago when I was on a, another radio station and he said, look, the biggest problem we get is we get these kids coming out of these top schools. They haven't learned how to lose because they haven't lost because of the nature of the program. And then the parents are saying, well, I'm only going to come to your club if you put me straight into premiers because my son needs to continue the exposure. And, you know, he's destined for great things because schoolboy rugby told him so. And he said it's a big challenge for all the coaches and all the clubs, um, having to sort of bow down to that pressure or basically taking a stance and saying, no, that's not how we operate. Um, look, I, I know people won't be familiar with the very, very tough regulations in Auckland 1A now around the poaching side of it. Like if you come from another first 15, you miss an entire year. Um, they really, really did tighten up on it uh, because of what St Kennigan's uh, were doing and what some other schools were doing. Um, but look, you know, I, I'll tell you, you know, I, I was there in 210 when my school, Man but Grandma, won Auckland Champs and then went and won the Nationals. But it took them another six years to win another Auckland Championship and to win another National Champs. And I can tell you both sides started in third form and came all the way through. But there was five years in between where they were completely and utterly in the wilderness. Um, and that's what it should be. That, that's the way it should be. And that's the way historically it once was. I, I went to school in um, Napier. I went to Napier Boys High. Now, there's four high schools in Napier. Now, from what I know, only Napier Boys High still has a first 15. Clenzo, Tamatera and Taradale don't have a first 15 anymore. Mm. And that was a strong competition with Hastings Boys, Linda's Farm, St. John's, Tiauti College. And they... And, that, you know, Hawke's Bay traditionally, you know, bred good players, you know, Stu Foster, Richard Turner, the Tremaine boys, you know, all went to Napier boys. 
but I suspect that the guys from the other uh, high schools that want to play first for rugby go to Napier boys just to play rugby, which is not right. On a, on a positive note, Mark, um, Jason Winyard, he's up this weekend. Or, you know, you can watch him online. He's a, he's a true champion, you know. He'll give blood for the country. Yeah, yeah. we had uh, Jason in studio a couple of weeks back for, yeah, this, for the still, him, yeah. still World Championships coming up, uh, being played in, um, they're, uh, in, in Sweden, aren't they? Yes, they are. Yeah, Gothenburg, where John Walker broke 350 for the mile back in 1975. Yep. So, yeah, no, look, and that's that's, that, that's the positive side of it, isn't it? Just hard, hard men, mate. Yep. No rest and rotation for guys like Jason Winyard, mate. No, no. Plays on, you know, I heard, I listened to that in balance hips and no stem cell, you know, and he's still keeping on, keeping on, you know, he doesn't need, oh, him, mate, you know, he doesn't, yeah. need, doesn't yeah. need some rest weeks. Oh, yeah, but, but see, yeah, no, hey, lovely to have you on the program, Dave. Nice way to kick okay, things off. Cheers, what I, have a good Thank weekend. you. 16 yeah. minutes after 12, 0800 150 some texts that have come in. Um, hey, Watto, uh, you are so correct. I was a rugby nutter, but New Zealand rugby is an absolute joke, and now my son is right into the NBA. Now, um, now that is how um, you run an organisation, uh, yeah, sorry, I, I've just put the text up in its entirety. All the big names play. LeBron played pre-season. I think schoolboy rugby is right taking it off TV as that was a joke. Use club rugby for the stepping stone, not schools. Also, the All Blacks don't lose. I never want to hear an ex-All Black saying he doesn't mind if they lose as long as we win the World Cup. We should be winning all year and also the World Cup. Well, when you start accepting All Black losses you compromise the all-black brand. We've got a brand around the world that says we're about performance, precision, and no compromise. We've never had, we've never, ever had, sorry, that's just my mum phoning the program, making sure that I'm slowing down when I'm speaking. Um, now, I've just lost my train of thought. You know, the all-blacks have never had a mentality of losing, and that's part of the all-black brand. But we're slowly eroding the all-black brand as well. So we've eroded club rugby, MPC, we're slowly doing damage to super rugby, and then within the all-blacks, we've franchised the name all-blacks. So we've now got the all-black 15, which used to be called New Zealand A. We've now got the Māori all-blacks. We've now got the sevens, all-black sevens. And the problem with that is when those teams go overseas and lose, lazy journalists will just report it as the all-blacks. And then suddenly you pick a newspaper up in Toronto, Canada, where I've lived, you pick a newspaper up in Japan or in Europe, um, one of these international papers, and you just see All Blacks beaten by Fiji in the sevens, All Blacks beaten by Kenya at sevens, but it's still reported as All Blacks beaten by Kenya. And then suddenly the perception of the All Blacks, which was up once held as this mythical, unstoppable machine, is diminished. It's no longer that. And that's the danger. If you're going to call a team the All Blacks, you've got to make sure you give it the same resource. 0800-150-811. Love to get your thoughts. Uh, the All Black team, too, for Saturday, we should just be studying our best team. I, I, I'm not interested in Roger Tuovasa-Shek studying at second five. He's not good enough. Akira Wani should be at centre. David Harvey should be playing. The only players that shouldn't be playing are those that are unavailable, like the Barrett brothers, like the case of Sam Whitelock. We play Wales next week. We need to go in match fit. We need to go in match hardened. This team has not shown us enough this year that they can just go in cold. And if anybody thinks that somehow the win against Australia at Eden Park 
hey, we've turned everything around, has got to be completely and utterly delusional. It was an awful Australian team. They don't get up. They don't get in your face. They're like pumping weights in a gym. The weights don't push back, and that was the Australian forward pack. 0800 150 is the number taking your calls. Is it acceptable for the All Blacks to lose? Your thoughts on schoolboy rugby? Should it be televised? What team should be starting against Japan? And by the way, just on this women's rugby thing and this scheduling, New Zealand rugby stuffed it up. Appalling. But that is New Zealand rugby. There are shambles at the moment. But stop politicising it. Stop politicising this. Stop making this out to be this relationship between men and women has been always one of oppression, that men have always dominated women. Just take the politics out of it. You're killing the World Cup because of it, the Women's World Cup. Stop making this out to be more than it actually is. Lines are open. It is 25 minutes after 12. Telephone number is 0800 150811. Jump on the phone. Love to hear from you on this Friday afternoon. Take on the All Blacks tomorrow. We've got the Black Ferns up against Wales. There's been a lot of discussion around the scheduling of both games and somehow um, there's some sort of sinister political angle to all of this that once again it's men oppressing women and New Zealand rugby doesn't give women's rugby enough respect. Uh, look, that might have been the case in the past. This was just simply stupidity from New Zealand rugby in terms of not having these games uh, on top of each other or following each other. Um, but, but that's all it is. But I guess what we will find out tomorrow is, is women's rugby as popular as all black rugby as a lot of the media would like us to believe because the media politicise everything. And that's what's killed the Women's Rugby World Cup for me. Everything has a political angle now. People don't turn up. You know, you're a misogynist. And when people do turn up, they make the crowds out to be bigger than they actually are and they present a bit of a false economy. I want to know, what are you watching tomorrow? If you had to choose one or the other, what are you watching? We know that both teams are going to win and win comfortably tomorrow. Are you going to watch the All Blacks or are you going to watch the Black Ferns? 0800 Someone just texting, oh, well, that's my radio turned off for the Arvo. Apologise to me. So I think Mark's, that's probably a dig at me. Mark, at least you know how to turn a radio off, my good man. Appreciate it. Uh, someone's saying here, uh, well, Sid, why don't you're the first person on this otherwise cheerleading radio station that will tell it like it is. I won't be surprised to see England deal to us at Twickenham, which will top off an embarrassing year for All Black Rugby. That comes from Rob. Well, it's been a disaster of a year already. One more test loss and we equal our worst year in rugby in the professional era. But we still have Ian Foster at the top. we got to make sure that we put our best team out and I hate this constant experimentation. You know, next year, our top All Blacks are going to be rested again in Super Rugby. How much rugby do these guys actually play in a year? Do they actually play at all? I know it's gladiatorial. I know it's physical. It doesn't stop the NRL boys rolling out every week. 25, 30 games a year. And when we do put the All Black jersey on, they still rest the top guys. 
No one turns up to NPC. No one's turning up to Super Rugby. No one's playing club rugby anymore. Why can't New Zealand rugby see the trouble the game is in? Oh, we've got the Silver Lake deal, though. We've got Altrad sponsorship. We've got Ineos. Bottom line looks great. We're okay. 0800-150-811. Uh, someone just texting in too, and I'm going to get into this after one o'clock, just suggesting that... And this is from Charlie. Listening to the Socceroos protest about Qatar human rights. Where are we? Um... Sorry, yeah, uh, Qatar human rights. Isn't isn't that hypocritical given Australians' record with their indigenous population isn't exactly sparkling? That comes from Charlie. Yeah, look, I've got a guy, John Harker, on the program after one o'clock, and I just want to touch on this because there's a lot of hypocrisy in all of this. Um, the netball team, $15 million in sponsorship gone, an organisation that's been struggling financially. Now, there's, I'm not Aboriginal, so I can't imagine what it's been like to be an Aboriginal living in Australia, and I can understand that, yeah, human rights haven't been great. But I would have thought a better way to protest would be not go to the Commonwealth Games. All of the players just don't go to the Commonwealth Games because if you want to talk about oppression and you want a symbol of oppression, you've only got to look at the British monarchy, you've only got to look at the Commonwealth. And I wonder whether these players that have taken a stance based on comments made 40 years ago, which were dreadful comments around Aboriginals, if they're true to themselves, they will not make themselves available for the Commonwealth Games going forward. And then we've got the racial cleansing of the Uyghur Muslims in Australia, in China, a million of them, Chinese government up to no good. Another indigenous group. Where are the protests? Where's the consistency here? Going to stop wearing Chinese-made products? Pat Cummins taking a stance on global warming. Doesn't want to wear or promote the energy company that sponsor New Zealand cricket, uh, Australian cricket. Well, I can tell you that Australia are the largest exporter of coal to China. China have the highest emissions in the world. Pat Cummins should just turn around and say, I'm not representing Australia as long as our Australian government continue to export coal. But of course he won't because he doesn't believe in it that much. In fact, he probably doesn't believe it at all, but he just feels that he can make some money by virtual signalling because it makes him look like he's got a social and environmental conscience. Happy to go, though, and play in India, where they have 7% of global emissions, where there's a high level of corruption and there's apartheid in their caste system. It is 28 and a half minutes away from one o'clock. Let's bring you the latest in headlines. Well, listen, Buster, you better start to move your feet. 
to the rockin'est beat of madness. This is Friday Midday Madness. 0800 150811 is the number. You can text us here on 8833 Schoolboy Rugby. The diminishing of New Zealand rugby. The All Black brand. What team should take the field for the All Blacks? And if you had one choice, what are you going to watch tomorrow? The Black Ferns or the All Blacks? You can text us here on 8833. The hypocrisy of sports people and virtue signalling. Be very, very careful when you go down that path because you will ultimately end up looking like a hypocrite. It's a bit like the vegan who wears leather shoes. 26 minutes away from one. Hi, Dean. Yeah, how are you, right? Good, thanks. I'm actually... I don't know. If I could, I'd actually watch the women's because it's a World Cup, to be fair. But yep. My partner's Japanese, so I'm kind of keen to support her and watching that as well. But the all-black team... Like I know everyone's thinking it's going to be a walk-up. I'm not 100% convinced because there's no combinations in there whatsoever. They've done training field stuff, of course, but I'm just trying to look through the power plays of the TAB and see if there's not somewhere that you can't sort of sneak a wee dollar on Japan to be doing something, but there's not. There's plenty of options, but mm. I don't know. Like For me, I really enjoy the women's rugby with, without sounding disrespectful because it's it's like watching the... The men's rugby in the 80s, like they play skip two, skip three. They run with pace, and Ruby Tui's just like a Christian Cullen, a breath of fresh air just all over the field. And there's not a whole heap of forwards in the back line making it nigh on impossible to find a hole or get through, you know what I mean? So it's actually, I've enjoyed the games that I've seen uh, delayed on whatever TV channel it is. So I'm, I'm looking forward to both, I have to say, and I'm not. As I say, I, I can't find anything here that sort of interests me with Japan doing anything in the fair yeah, yeah, no, look, just on, just on that, like I say, I have been lucky enough to be commentating over the last couple of weeks the Defence Force Women's Rugby World Cup, and it's been a really high stand. A lot of the players on the cusp of their own national teams, France, the United Kingdom, New Zealand, etc., and I've been impressed. No scrum resets. Um, Ball-carrying front rowers. Um, you know, there are some areas where, you know, the kicking perhaps don't quite get the distance and exiting at key parts of the field is maybe is not as effective as you might see in the men's game, but I've thoroughly enjoyed it. What's killed the Women's Rugby World Cup for me has been the politi- politicisation of it, making out everything is about um, oppression of women and let's just move on, let's just enjoy it for what it is, let it just naturally and organically grow without actually having to try and inflate the numbers at the ground and, you know, saying, hey, that's the greatest haka that's ever been performed and all of this other sort of rubbish that goes with it. And the other thing is, stop telling me what I should be watching. Let me choose what I want to watch. Um, So I'm with you, Dean. The only disappointment I have is that I don't know how you can have a draw where you play Wales in a quarter final when it was only a couple of weeks ago you'd already played Wales in the pool play. Now, normally at a Rugby World Cup, you can play a team like France in the pool play, but the way it's scheduled, you're only probably going to meet them again in the final. And that's disappointing. I think we all know the outcome of the game tomorrow for both games. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I, I don't know who does the scheduling of a lot of things nowadays in sport to be to be brutally honest, this whole Japanese test was just sort of thrown together at the 20th minute and I almost wondered whether it was a, well, Sky had been good to New Zealand rugby for so long and Spark coming in, I don't know. No, 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 Sky didn't want it because they, contrary to what all of the 
PR comes out, all of the spin that comes out, Sky didn't want it because they didn't believe it was commercially going to be viable for them. You know, that is actually more of an honest admission of how they perceive the women's game versus the actual front that they put out there or that the official press release or what their official point of view might be. If they honestly believed this Women's Rugby World Cup, if there was interest in it, they would have secured it. Oh, I think that makes 100% sense. You only had to watch the women's NPC and it was, when you take away the players' free tickets, there weren't many people actually paying to go. So No, no I, and, I, yeah, and that's... And, I, and that's my point, Dean. Stop, stop manufacturing it. Stop creating a false economy around it. Just let, just let it naturally progress. And, and if the product is good enough and, and give it time, we will watch it. If it's not good enough, if it's not commercially viable, don't try and blame it on the patriarchy. Don't try and blame it on oppression. It just simply might not be commercially viable. Yeah, and it's, it's in all sports. I look at... I've argued this for years about women's tennis. Like, I've got no problem if they want to play parity, but play five sets. Oh, well, Grand Slams, it should, yeah, Grand Slams, it should be five sets because, I mean, you've got women doing Ironmans. Um, yeah, it should be five sets. A- absolutely, it should be. And you'd have better contests. I, I mean, one of, I-, I love women's tennis. I genuinely do. Um, but when it gets to the Grand Slams, you know, how often do you ever see a final that reaches the heights of, say, the men's final? And if the men's finals were the best of three sets, we wouldn't have great encounters either. How often do you see a guy coming back from two sets down to win it in five? I think that's why we watch it, because you know there's certain makeups of individuals that go to those particular events and they have that mental toughness to grit their teeth. Mm. Like Nadal's just mm. a freak at it. Federer was yeah. very good at it too. Yeah. Like it. That's the beauty of sport, though. There's yeah. always going to be pros and cons. I, I agree with you. Just give us some transparency yeah. and honesty. Just, just give us some honesty. Oh. Just let us pick and choose and stop telling us what we should watch, what we should listen to, who's offensive, who's not offensive, uh, what's a good hacker, what's a bad hacker. Just take all of the social, um, what do you call it, this identity politics out of it. You're just destroying the game. Look, we get it. History hasn't been good to anybody, man. I get it. Let's just enjoy it for what it is. Hey, thanks, Dean. I do appreciate it. Telephone number is 0800 150 811 is the number. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more. Yeah, not quite as good looking as Mark Stafford, to be fair. Mark Watson with you. Telephone number is 0800 150 811. Just a text that's come in from Warwick. Hiya. Totally endorse schools removing schoolboy rugby from TV. The focus on kids has killed our club scene as players in the ages of 22 to 25 are leaving in droves because focus is on untested 18-year-olds. If a school kid is good at 18, he will still be good and better when he is 21. Warwick, brilliant text. Completely and utterly agree with you. Uh, Craig texting in, if the Australian soccer players feel so strongly about the dire state of human rights in Qatar, then they should boycott the World Cup. And I agree, and I think if the netball team are consistent in their stance, and I think they've got every... um, You've got every right to be, boycott the Commonwealth Games. Because if you want a symbol of oppression, it's the British monarchy. Um, if someone out of Australia helps asking the question, how much do you hate Australia? Well, I don't hate Australia. I just don't like a lot of Australian sport. And, and then you've come back and said, typical Kiwi arrogance. Sorry, is Pot calling the kettle black there? Yeah, hmm, 
Yeah, hmm, very, very short memories. Look, sport is full of hypocrisy. But this sponsorship issue, if players start telling the marketing departments what to do, there's going to be no money in sport. The reality is the big companies that sponsor sport are energy companies, alcohol companies, gambling, and the odd big bank. You can go behind the scene of any of them, and if you dig deep enough, you're going to find a level of moral corruption. And what? And then you're going to stand on the moral high ground and say it's unacceptable? Oh, but by the way, make sure I still get paid. Forget that those funds are hopefully channeled down through to grassroots, the small clubs throughout the regions to help sustain the game at that level. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight double one is the number. Uh, someone's saying, what I love your work, but the reason why Sky Sport have this Women's World Cup is because they won the rights, which included the Men's World Cup in 2019. Uh, Sky were outbid on what they really wanted. That comes from Jason. Yeah, that makes sense, Jason. Thank you for clarifying that too. Um, yeah, it was part of that overall package. Sky have jumped in and got the next uh, couple of World Cups. Hi, Cliff. G'day, Mark. How are you? I, I, I did mention this the other day to Staffy, but... I, I have a real problem with this All Blacks 15, this third-base team that, that we're sending away. Now, when it was announced, a big announcement was made back at the end of June, early July. The All Blacks 15, a new team, was going to make a big tour of North America and Europe, playing Canada, two more games, and then finishing off playing the Barbarians. Well, this tour, to me, has become a joke. All they're doing is playing Island A and, and the Barbarians. And it almost looks like it was everything was announced before anything was organised. You know, the, the All Blacks that are away, you know, the, our, the proper All Blacks, they could have played the Barbarians at the end of their tour. And this Island A is just an absolute waste of time. Why are we playing Island A? Because it doesn't mean nothing. They, they don't come here and play us. So why are we sending a team away, 30 players plus all the hangers-on, when the money couldn't be locally on, you know, our Heartland team that has announced they're going to have a game against the New Zealand police at Taupo, and they usually go on a tour. So why, where, where's the money going into trying to feed a few jokers uh, a nice cruisy holiday, plus a few All Blacks, potential All Blacks who might leave, but the guys that didn't make the, the two teams, they're leaving now anyway. Yeah, look, um, I've said this. The only people that are doing well in rugby in the moment are the players and those and the players' association. It's very much the tail wagging the dog. I don't have a problem if you want to send a New Zealand A side away because you want to continue to create depth below the All Blacks. But only once you've got club rugby right, once you've got MPC right, once you've got grassroots right, because it doesn't matter what you do in terms of saying, oh, we need an A to develop. In the long term, you're actually not going to have the depth of player to develop anyway because people are leaving the game in droves. Um, but do not call it an All Black 15. Just call it a New Zealand A. It's not an All Black team. If we lose to Ireland B, it will be reported in some far part of the world as All Blacks lose to Ireland. And, again, it'll diminish the All Blacks brand or the perception of the All Blacks brand among those people who are not rugby aficionados but who are aware of the aura of the All Blacks. But this team, uh, Mark, was 
was announced as playing a three-week tour, playing four games. Ireland A, two two high-profile games, and a game against Canada. Well, it's become a, a two-part two part game for three weeks, playing the Barbarians, which the All Blacks should be playing that Barbarians game. That's That should have been the highlight. I, I, after I, the yeah, yeah, but Cliff, Cliff, they're tired. Remember, they've got to rest. They've got to rest, Cliff, and they've got to miss most of Super Rugby and all of the NPC, Cliff, because they're tired. We don't get it, Cliff, but life's tough for being an All Black, mate, you know? The million dollars a year, I mean, it's, 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 it's there, tough, mate. Cliff. It's tough, Cliff, I know. I say that very cynically, of course. Yeah, look, I agree with you, Cliff. I, I mean, look, New Zealand rugby. I, I just cannot, I just cannot get my head around the resource that they've got. That they just aren't listening to people out there about the state of the game in this country, and how engagements are dropping away, and people are no longer interested. And that it's now acceptable for Mills Malina to come out on TV and say he doesn't mind if the All Blacks lose to Scotland. I mean, where did this all come from? Where are we heading? Why have we got to this? It, it, it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. They are just so... The board, who are the board? Where are these people? Where's their business acumen? God gave you two ears and one mouth. He wasn't stupid, man. Why can't they listen? We are the customer. They're custodians. This is our game. It's not theirs. It's not the players. It's not the Players Association, Cliff. Hey, lovely to have you on the programme. Thank you. It is seven and a half minutes away from one. John Harker, Australian broadcaster on the programme after one to talk all things Australian sport. Let's go to the phones, though. Ed from Tolaga Bay. Good afternoon. Welcome. Hello. Quick call up about the NPC for Knights Pro East Coast for next year. So let's follow for hopefully we'll do well. But also to me, to my bro who passed away up in Ruatoria in their big final, yeah. I just found out that was one of my bros. Yeah, that happened yeah. just that happened prior to the main event, didn't it? That was a club final. That was um that was a centenary game. Centenary game, yes. Victoria City. So old Rob, Rob Tuari who passed. So we played together when I was playing for the coast in ninety three. Yeah, no condo- yeah. condolences. I, I I saw that. Um Neil Reid, a journalist from the Herald who's a big East Coast fan, he was down there. He'd made comment to it on a number of social media posts. So, look, I'm pleased that you acknowledged him, Ed. Hey, Ed, just we we spoke while that final was on, but that's what New Zealand rugby should be watching. That should be the blueprint for the rest of New Zealand rugby, what we saw with between East Coast and um, and, and Canterbury. What was it, North North Canterbury or South Canterbury? North Canterbury, wasn't it? Mid-Canterbury. Oh, Mid-Canterbury, my apologies, yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yep. but yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for them for next year. Um, that's really good. Yeah. So my brother's getting buried today up in Tokomaru Bay. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, look, one thing, Maldi do it very, very well indeed. Ed. Hey, lovely to have you on the program and condolences once again. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Hey. Just a text that's coming. Um, doesn't often happen, Mark, but totally agree with you. And if we don't act soon, rugby in New Zealand has gone up. Thought when Robertson took over, we would be um, true to his word and start fixing it. Uh, not. To be would seem, uh, not to be would seem, just sold our soul to the highest bidder. Losing hope fast. Cheers, Phil. Hey, Phil, look, appreciate the text. And like I say, I don't expect people to always agree with me. I don't. Uh, that doesn't mean you have to hate me. That doesn't mean you don't have to listen to me. Um, but I hope at times that we can agree to disagree and at times we'll agree on things. So thank you to everybody that's texting. Been really, really busy hour on the text machine. Really busy. Uh, John Harker after one. I do want to look at some of the issues over there, including the sponsorship issue. Uh, Tim Payne has just released a book, the previous Australian cricket captain. Um, all that and more. We will open the lines as well. We are coming up to news, sport and weather at the top of the hour.
Three minutes after one, telephone numbers 0800 150 811. You can text the programme here on 8833. You are listening to SENZ. Mark Watson with you through to four o'clock this afternoon. Well, plenty of news, plenty of discussion in Australian sport at the moment. Players standing up and having a political point of view on a number of issues. Some people have described it as nothing short of just virtue signalling. We've had the Australian football team come out and make a statement regarding human rights in Qatar. However, they're still going to go and play the Football World Cup. We've had Danelle Wallum, Indigenous netball player, joined by the rest of her Diamond teammates and have made a statement which has cost netball a $15 million sponsorship. We've had Pat Cummins, the Australian cricket captain, coming out and taking a stance on global warming, refusing to endorse an energy company that is a major sponsor of Australian cricket. To discuss this is one of Australia's finest broadcasters, John Harker. He joins us on the programme. John, good afternoon. Welcome. Good afternoon, Wado. How are you, mate? Very well, thank you, John. When did Australian sport become so concerned politically? Oh... I reckon it's naive to suggest that we've we've ever been anything other than a bit concerned politically. I mean, you know, um, we weren't the only country that didn't go to South Africa in and, and, and protest of apartheid, and, you know, that's something that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but certainly, I think, to the point you're making, really, is when did the players um, on their own within teams start making statements that are so political? And, uh, and, and that is certainly something... Much more recent. I mean, Pocock, the, uh, the, the the former Wallabies captain, is, is is stood very strongly on on some issues. But it's a really difficult thing for a uh, for a sporting body uh, when your players have as much power as some of these ones do, and then of course others are powerless. But Pat Cummins, what's going to happen to Pat Cummins if Cricket Australia say no, Pat, you toe the line, shut up, or he'll just pick up a lot of money playing IPL and everywhere else? And he could stop playing for Australia. That's what he felt like doing. Um, he's in a sport where there's there's a wealth of money coming for, for him elsewhere, away from his employers. But, but the netballers, I mean, they're in a situation where there's not a lot of com- money coming their way unless it's from their employers. So uh, that was a really odd situation. That said, um, the comments made by Gina Reinhardt, uh, father were appalling. Absolutely, but I, I, absolutely. I don't know whether you should be. I don't. Know, I don't know whether you should be held responsible for something your father said thirty years ago. I mean, I think it's in her interest to be walking away from those as well. But fifteen million bucks out the window for a sport that over the last two years mm. has run at a seven million dollar loss. There is not a lot of money going netball's way, and they've just lost a fortune. Yeah, has there been any discussion from the Australian netball team about boycotting the next Commonwealth Games? Because if there has ever been um, a symbol of oppression, you would argue it's the British monarchy colonisation. I mean, if they're true to this cause, then where does it stop and how far do they take it? And, and, this, and that's the point that you quite rightly made, made about the Socceroos. If, if they felt that uh, poorly about it, uh, they could have walked away from Qatar. The, the, the real drama here is, is, is FINA and others associating themselves with, with countries like Qatar. The same thing can be, uh, can be said of live golf, but you can make a choice not to take the money if you don't want to because golf's such an individual sport. Um, and and some, some of them have taken the choice. Rory McIlroy and others have said, no, I won't take money from them. 
Yeah. Good luck to them. Yeah. Is boxers, individual sports, sports stars. Muhammad Ali wouldn't come out to, to Melbourne years ago because the Fosters Melbourne Cup was the Fosters Melbourne Cup because he was he's a Muslim, uh, anti-alcohol, obviously, and would not come out and associate himself with a Melbourne Cup. But, but when you're an individual, you can do that. Gee, it's difficult when you start holding mm. your sport to ransom and, and the sport's got to find money somewhere. And unfortunately, at the moment, what are, you know where they find it? Over and over and over again, they find it from betting comp- companies, and what a blight on 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 sport betting companies are. Yeah, al- alcohol betting companies, energy companies, and the odd big bank. And I'm sure that if you dig deep enough, you can find a high level of moral corruption anywhere. And, and this is where I get frustrated with the double standard and the hypocrisy from some of these athletes. So, I mean, let's talk about Indigenous rights. Let's have a look at what the Uyghur population, the Muslim population in China, um, which is, you know, basically being, um, what, what's the right word for it? Um, well, cleansed, basically. Racial cleansing is probably yeah, a better way of describing it. Yet, where are these, where are these same people defending the indigenous rights of Aboriginals standing up and suddenly boycotting anything made in China, not travelling to China? I mean, Pat Cummins, 7% of global emissions come out of India. We know how corrupt India is as a nation. They've got a caste system over there which borders on apartheid. Um, but, you know, we've, had, we've, had, we've had two Olympics in China too, Wallo. You know, we've yeah. had, we, we, had, we had Beijing twice. They've hosted both the summer and the winters in the last 20 years. And, and the... the the IOC, organisations like FINA, uh, they need to be held accountable. But you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to hold, hold them accountable if, unless the big countries say we're not going. Mm. Unless you're going to get the big European countries, the big South South American countries saying we're not holding a World Cup in Qatar, uh, you know, and, and why on earth are they holding it? It sounds like sour grapes because, of course, we were we were bidding for it. But what? Why would you be holding a World Cup in Qatar? I think the Socceroos. Uh, right, but I think it's meaningless that they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, well, but maybe, maybe these things will eventually change. But the, the rugby league's no longer sponsored by Winfield. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, and that's a lot of that stuff is government legislation. I think people can understand tobacco sponsorship. But my answer is: so where's the money going to come from if these players want to, you know? Um, be righteous, uh, want to sort of moral police everybody else. Where did they expect the money to go? Do they, do, they, do they take a pay cut? Yeah, do they take a pay cut here? Do they cut down the size of their houses and reduce their carbon footprints? I mean, what happens here? But, but, but that is the answer. That's the natural answer. You've got to earn less. If you, if you, if you take a moral stand, and, and good luck to people that want to, if you, we've seen players refuse to wear... Uh, jerseys with sponsorship on them before. It's, ha- yeah. it, it, it's happened. And if you want to take a moral stand, then, then that should cost you some money. Absolutely. And, and, and that's just the, the nature of things. If if the, if the, netballs, the netball players have just lost $15 million, if they can't replace it, they're going to have to take a pay cut because yeah. there's a, there are lots of sports stars who are paid beyond what they actually earn. Rugby league players are a classic example. Every rugby league club, uh, in in Australia, at least, I don't know the situation with the Warriors. I imagine it may be the same. But every rugby league club in Australia is their salary is sponsored to the tune of about forty percent from poker machine money. Mm. And that and the only reason poker machines were originally allowed to exist in Australia was to supposedly foster community events, not for profit organisation fostering community events. So, you know, are they buying uh, football boots for young kids just playing on a weekend? Mm. Or, or are those those women's pension pension checks and men's pension checks going through poker machines are going to pay highly paid footballs? And the answer is the second one. It's like if if rugby league had to exist solely on television rights and 
sponsorship money, the players would be earning about three hundred thousand dollars a piece less at that top tier level. And but they're not; they're, they're, they're earning money from betting companies and uh, and and poker machines. It's a, it's a, it's it's very ordinary. Well, I mean, the other thing, I, I, the Pat Cummins one, I guess, frustrates me even more because you know Australia are the highest um, exporters of coal in terms of ocean going methods. Uh, most of it goes to China, who have the highest emission rates in the world. I mean, if you pack Cummins and you're true to it, you don't play for Australia until the Australian government refuses to do it. Um, you know, guys like Pocock at least go out there and chain themselves to trees and get themselves arrested yes. and actually talk the talk. Don't just walk the walk, but talk the talk. And you can actually genuinely respect them for it. We had a famous all-black here, Michael Jones, who, through his religious beast, refused to play rugby on a Sunday and stuck true to it. Semi-final of 87 World Cup, didn't play. It was played on a Sunday, you know, practised what he preached. It wasn't just virtue signalling. Yeah, it's it's chariots of fire all over again, isn't it? I pull, I'm pulling out of the hundred because it's been it's been run on a Sunday, hmm. and, and 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 good luck to them. Mate, it's, it's 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 World Teachers Day today. Everybody has that one teacher. Mate, I was taught by a bloke who my, my PE teacher at high school was a bloke who defected from um, Hungary after the '56 Olympics because of the, the Russian invasion. And let me tell you a very quick story about him. This is a guy who finished second. He crossed the line second in the. Um, in the 3,000 steeple in 56, there was a bit of uh, jostling at the top of the, um, the straight, just around the last bend. And the guys, uh, the, the, um, the winner was disqualified. Alex Rosnoy, the bloke that ran second, then protested on behalf of the winner and said, mate, it, no, it made no difference. He was about to get sports ultimate prize. He was about to collect a gold medal, but he put his principles in front of him. and said, it made no mm. difference. I was going to run second anyway. Don't worry about it. He mm. beat me. And they've reversed the decision. Anyway, that's just that's just that's just to decide. What I'd really like to know is, are you blokes going to win the World Cup? Which World Cup are you talking about? The T20. Well, it's a fickle game, isn't it? Um, are we good enough historically? History says no, we won't. Um, we'll upset a few teams along the way. It's interesting one, the New Zealand, the, the um, Black Caps, and because we've actually made the final of the last T20 Cricket World Cup. We've made the previous two one-day World Cup finals. We won the World Test Match Championship, but perhaps because we historically haven't had a lot of um, expectation on the Black Caps, I'm still not sure that we genuinely believe like we perhaps do the All Blacks, and I'm still not sure the rest of the cricketing world genuinely believe that the Black Caps are still a real deal. Uh, can we win it? Well, I think any time you reduce um, a game, uh, to, you know, if you took tennis to just one sure, set, I mean, three. yeah, if you took tennis to one set, Federer and Agassi, uh, Federer, Agassi, Nadal, all of those players would have lost a lot more. So, look, I think every team's got a chance. We saw that overnight with Zimbabwe beating Pakistan. Yeah, you're up against Sri Lanka tomorrow, then, then England and Ireland. I, look, it's a, it's a tough run home. I, you know, Sri Lanka, England in particular, and Ireland, of course, have just knocked over England, so England are in trouble. And, and we're, we're, we're playing the Poms today, you know, which is, and we've lost to them the last three times we've played them. But anyway, We'll see what happens. I don't know what the solution is on the. Um, we saw the situation with the Pride jersey earlier this year too, with those. How poorly handled that was. Uh, to, to just hand the jerseys to the players and expect them to, and not have a conversation with them before them. And, and those, you know, the Samoans and Solomon Islanders, they're they're deeply deeply religious, and, and they 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 took a stand. And, and in, in my view, I know it was an unpopular stand, but good luck to them. At least, they, at least they were standing up for what they believed in, whether you agree with what they believe in or not. I don't, but, but at least they stood up. Okay, where are the Australian public on these two debates, the Pat Cummins and the Australian netball? Is, is 
are they in favour or are they out of favour? Do people see the hypocrisy here or do people sort of buy into their cause? Oh, no, I think... Oh, I, I, it's it's always a big ask when you don't see any genuine surveys and genuine research. I think the nation's split, but, but to be honest, I, I think the other thing is that the, the netball thing, I, I think the nation's struggling to understand what really is going on, whether it was... Uh, whether there are, are other issues amongst the netball team and the, and the netball hierarchy. With Cummings, I think Cummings is not getting anywhere near the level of support you would expect Pat, Pat Cummings to get, given he's on still on that bit of a, a honeymoon of, as Australian cricket captain after everything that happened to, uh, to Tim Payne. Mm. Speaking of Tim Payne... news on Tim Payne too. The woman that was involved in all, in all that, Renee Ferguson, her case has been dismissed. Uh, she was seeking a, a million dollars worth of damages in... Uh, in the federal court against Cricket Tasmania, and that case is, uh, has since mm. been dismissed. Now, Tim Payne has just released a biography. What are the big talking points in that, and how much of a discussion has it created? Oh, look, the, the, the main talking point is the, is, is the obvious one, is, is his sacking stroke resignation. And, and Tim's, Tim's view of the meeting, uh, there was a, a fellow by the name of Clive Matheson, who's a, a newspaper, ex-newspaper editor, uh, was brought along uh, by Nick Hockley, the, the CEO of Cricket Australia, and Tim Payne claims, Hockley hasn't commented on this, but Tim Payne's view is that Matheson basically ran the meeting. Matheson, a man he'd never met before, and and, and essentially put, put a gun to his head to say, you've got to go. If you don't go, you'll be hounded. We won't. And it was obvious that they wouldn't support him. If Tim Payne's version of events is true... Gee, that's cowardly from Hockley to be. You're dealing with with the most important person in your organisation as the captain of Australian cricket, and you're the CEO, and you're trying to sack him, trying to get him to uh, to resign rather, but same thing, and you're not the one that dominates that meeting and take and you let somebody a a, a PR spokesperson do the dirty work for you. Gee, I think that's cowardly, and I and I think most Australians agree. And do most people? Um, believe Tim Payne's version of events? Yes. Yeah, I think despite everything that's happened, uh, despite the ridiculous, disgusting, stupid thing that he did, I think there's a lot of sympathy for Tim Payne. And, and, and he was, I think he was, he was a breath of fresh air for the Australian cricket after, you know, Sandpaper Gate. And, and people, people wanted Tim Payne to, to succeed. And then this game, uh, out, well, a, out of the blue for the rest of us. The other thing about Cricket Australia is that clear, it is clear beyond doubt that Cricket Australia knew that uh, this had taken place and they didn't care. If they really wanted to set standards, they should have sacked him before any... That's what they wanted to do, should have sacked him as soon as they found mm. out, if that's what they thought was right. But instead, they hoped that it would just never come out. Mm. So they were, they were happy for Tim Payne to have done what he did to have sent the, 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 uh, the, the lewd photo, photo of himself to, to this woman, they were happy for that to happen as long as no one knew. What sort of leadership is that? They're kidding, aren't they? So whether it's whether it's Nick Hockley or prior to that, um, uh, Kevin Roberts, whether he was the one that knew at the time, it's clear that they knew and it was clear that they went along with the cover-up and they only wanted to get rid of pain when the public reacted. I mean, that's not leadership. They sound about as dysfunctional as New Zealand rugby is at the moment. John, hey, look, just before I do let you go, someone's just texted and wants to know whether you will win the World Cup. 
Gee, I reckon we're... I've, no, I don't think we will. Uh, um, I, I think we've got this big game against England. Look, if we, win, if we beat England, then we might have the, the, the train back on track. Uh, we've got Matt Wade with COVID. Um, in fact, Maxwell went off and got some gloves yesterday, <laughs> zipped down to the... Uh, to the, the, the Kookaburra plant and got some uh, wicket-keeping gloves because we've only got the one wicket-keeper. I think, we're, I think we're looking a little rocky. Cummings himself is not, is not bowling well. You've got um, Aaron Finch in all sorts with his batting. I, I don't think we will. I think India... I, I think probably India will. Um, but I actually like... I, I think the Kiwis have got a chance. I really do. I, I think if they beat Sri Lanka tomorrow... Um, then England and Ireland are come. They're going to they'll win. You would think they would win the Ireland game. Um, I, I think I think the Kiwis have got a chance. I'd rather be betting on them than us right now. And of course, when you win, we'll just adopt you. That's what we always do. <laughs> You'll probably still give the man of match to an Australian though, um, like you did in 2011 <laughs> last time we won a Test match in Australia, or like when we won the Rugby League World Cup. I think they gave the uh, man of the match to Darren Lockyer. But we won't go back to the underarm incident. We won't go and relitigate any of that. We won't go back to the umpiring decisions in the 86-87 Boxing Day Test with Mike Whitney. We won't touch on any of that, John Harker. I will let you go. I do appreciate your time on the show this afternoon. See you while I got to talk to you, man. Thank you. 20 and a half minutes after one, you're listening to SENZ. Telephone numbers 0800 150 What do you take on this whole player power, um, virtue signalling, bringing to sports into disrepute? I'll say this. Any major sponsor, if you want to dig deep enough, you're going to find a high level of moral corruption. You've only got to look at the current All Black sponsors. Go and have a Google on Altrad. Go and have a Google on Ineos. Go back and have a look at AIA and uh, their... Um, the, the part they played in the global meltdown back in 2008. Uh, anything that comes out of China, you can find a high level of moral corruption. Look at America's foreign policy if you really, you know, it's really easy to point the finger at countries like Saudi Arabia. Go and have a look at uh, America's foreign policy. They still have the death penalty over there. Uh, I mean, you can find hypocrisy everywhere. Uh, be very, very careful, though, if you do take a stance, because if you're going to live by the sword, you've got to die by the sword. You've got to live up to what you believe in. Pat Cummins is a hypocrite, nothing short of a hypocrite. The Australian netball team, I think there's some merit in what the young Aboriginal um, player is saying, was 40 years ago. But I still think that a better way of protesting is not going to the Commonwealth Games, um, possibly not playing for Australia until things change. Take a personal stance on it. It's not quite black and white anymore. And it's a very, very dangerous game we're going down. 0800 150 Hey, um, someone, Frank, I think, tweeted, did he? Sheesh, you realise what a breath of positive, fresh air. Um, staff is on the airways. When you get to listen to his replacement, what it was like a broken record that hasn't changed the tune for about five years. No, I haven't changed my tune, uh, Frank, for the fact is that New Zealand rugby haven't changed their tune. Nothing has changed. In fact, Frank, what I'll actually say is, what I was saying five years ago has actually come to fruition now. But Frank, as I say to everybody that loves to throw the abuse my way, I don't know whether you missed the day at school. When I was, when I was five, I didn't miss the day where they taught me how to turn a radio off. We'll take a break. You're listening to SENZ. Yeah, look, I just want to acknowledge Gull too, fueling your mission all year round. If you are driving past Gull stations, please, uh, I encourage people to go to those uh, companies that are getting behind SENZ. Also, just want to acknowledge the texts that have been coming in on the Temper Bedpost text machine. Uh, temper and Bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. 
Um, someone saying, go Watto. It's a great day for fishing because you're certainly getting plenty of bites. Someone saying, what's wrong with having an opinion? I'm not turning off my radio. No, I, I have no problem with having an opinion. There's a difference between an opinion and abuse. Um, we all can't be wrong. Boring. Um, when is Mark back? Please be Monday. Cheers, Craig. No wonder Radio Sport axed you. Well, no, Radio Sport didn't ax me at all, to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah, and, and again, Craig, it's simple, mate. It's called an off button, mate. Really is, my friend. Okay. Got a lot of people miss school when they were five. Uh, right, we're going to have some sports headlines, news and some weather very shortly. Then we are going to bring you the TAB odds. Um, Paul Mawati is going to come on and give us a bit of an update. Keen to find out what the TAB are paying on certain sporting events because it is a massive, massive week of sport or weekend of sport coming up. Hey, um, jump on the phones. Tell me if you have to choose one tomorrow, is it the Black Ferns against Wales in the World Cup or is it Japan? All Blacks versus Japan. I think we know the outcome of both. One has World Cup attached to it. One is, well, I think we're still curious under Ian Foster. And even though we know we're going to win, are we going to win by a lot? Are we going to look good? Um, a lot of interest in Roger Tuivasa-Shek. Stephen Perifera at fullback. Good to see him finally getting some decent game time. Uh, you also might have just heard that conversation I had with John Harker out of Australia regarding sponsorship players now having their say standing up, virtue signalling, taking the moral high ground. Some issues clearly, I think, have a lot more weight than others. Um, but should individual players be able to technically financially ruin an organisation, knowing that's probably not going to affect them in the long term? Right, we'll have that conversation. 0800 150 Let's bring you some news, sport and weather mainly in the west, possibly heavy with northerly breezes. Catch live commentary Black Caps against Sri Lanka at the T20 World Cup tomorrow night from 8.30 on SENZ. Right, it is 28 minutes away from 2 o'clock. Someone saying, hey, Mark, love your work. All the stuff you said about New Zealand rugby has come true. Keep it up. Haters are going to hate. Oh, look, I don't really bother. I, I read the text out more to, for more entertainment reasons, to be perfectly honest. Um, I, the fact I get people to text, as far as I'm concerned, I'm doing my job because I'm getting a level of engagement. I'm getting a reaction. Uh, what I will say with me is I'm not, I don't say things just for the sake of it. I say things because I believe it. I say things because I'm passionate about it. And I just call it as I see it. And like I say, if if you don't like opinion, don't listen to talk back radio. Um, I've always said that. Hey, look, um, I want to encourage people. Um, well, firstly, we want everybody to gamble responsibly and gamble over the age of 18. But if you are into gambling, in play, hundreds of sports markets to choose from. Visit tab.co.nz. Download the app today. Right. Let's get the latest from the TAB. Brendan Popperwell joins us. Brendan, good afternoon. Welcome. Watto. Yeah, how are you? Yes. Hey, mate. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, buddy. I'm very good. Um, yeah, just trying to catch my bearings again. I was able to watch a bit of the Black Caps last week, so I've only just got back in the country. So I uh, need to try and realign myself uh, back into the Kiwi conditions. Uh, maybe Watto is probably the best way of putting it. Okay, if you're having a wee flutter, if you're wanting people to be able to earn some money so they can buy their coffees next week, where do you reckon the best bets are this weekend? Where are people putting their money? 
Well, we'll jump to, we'll, we'll talk some cricket, and we've, we've got this massive game coming up against Australia and England uh, tonight at, at nine o'clock, and of course it's going to be weather permitting with what's uh, likely in front of us uh, in Melbourne, but it's a massive game in terms of uh, the dynamic of, of, of Group 1. So Australia's $1.83, and England currently sit at $1.90. We've seen 74% of our head-to-head money on Australia uh, in this marketplace. Wow, wow. keen to wow. get around them mm. leaving. They could win this one. So, yeah. Uh, hey, look, both sides look a touch vulnerable uh, with what we've seen so far in the two matches, but punters are deciding that maybe Australia is to go here. Now, we have got a game at 5 o'clock too, which is an interesting match, this one. Afghanistan, 165 favourites against Ireland. They're at $2.15, who caused the upset, of course, a couple of days ago, beating England. So we've seen a bit of money coming the way of Ireland at the bigger price uh, of 2 dollars and 15 cents. And I will move to the match on Saturday night too, uh, where it's a big day for uh, all New Zealand teams. And the Black Caps play against Sri Lanka at nine o'clock. Uh, they're 142, the Black Caps. We've seen very good money for the Black Caps to win this to beat Sri Lanka, who are at 270. Uh, punters are very keen to get around Devin Conway. He is clearly our best back uh, top run scorer market at $3.40. Uh, then Finn Allen uh, currently at $4.20 is also. Uh, attracting a few punters at that price. Mm. Hey, look, I, I know there's a few people that have come in here who already believes the All Blacks are going to beat Japan, but if you do love the Japanese, if you um, think that Japan can win in some aspect tomorrow, is there any area in betting that you, you might win some money if you bet on a certain part of yep. Japanese rugby? There is, there is, and I think this is the option to take uh, if you do like Japan, and it, this is in the point start, so... We've got Japan with a 29.5-point start. So if they lose this match uh, by 29 points or less, uh, you, you become a winner. So that's $1.87 if you think the Japanese can stay in touch with the All Blacks. And we have seen some interest uh, in this marketplace. We've got a lot of All Blacks playing in this test match uh, that are a little bit low on rugby and certainly test match rugby. And could this game just be a match where it may not be a blowout like we've seen in previous years and Japan can keep pace with the All Blacks. So that's where we've seen the best support for Japan to keep within the 29.5 points at $1.87. Uh, All Blacks are unbackable. They're $1.03 to win the match. They're $1.15 to win the game, 13 and over. We've seen just a couple of little bets at the $8.50. Nothing too significant on Japan to win the match. But, yeah, best place to go if you like in Japan at all to cover them in the point start at $1.87, 29.5 points currently. Brendan, lovely catching up this afternoon. We do encourage people, bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. In play, hundreds of sports markets to choose from. Visit tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly. It is 23 minutes away from two. We'll take a break. We'll come back with your calls. We've got Darren out of Australia here. Keep the abuse coming on the text. I love the fact I'm living rent-free inside your head. It's afternoons with Watto. 0800 150 811 is the number after two o'clock. Scott Worthington on the programme, an endurance athlete in his 60s who's just come back from competing in arguably one of the greatest endurance events on the planet, a river or a kayaking race down the Yukon River uh, in some pretty treacherous conditions in some pretty uncharted territory so we'll just change it up a little bit after two but let's head to Melbourne Darren's on the phone hi Darren hey Wado how are you good thanks just regarding those texts you're getting mate there's things that you you say and do that really really frustrate me at times but I'll be honest with you I really like it (laughs) because uh 
you know, you can't just have it all one way. It's not all unicorns and rainbows, mate. So. No, Keep look, I, I, I um, I, I pick and you know, I, you know, you can ignore all of those texts, but look, as far as I'm concerned, if people are texting in, we've got a level of engagement and it's a bit of banter, and yeah, look, I think sometimes it's just part of the entertainment, you know, when you read a few of them out. So no, I appreciate it, Darren. Like I say, mate, I, I you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of guys I respect who I listen to in the opinion space. Don't agree with them a lot of the time, but hey, we're all in the same game, and it's just an opinion, you know. Yeah. No. Um, your question. Um, I'll be I'll be watching the All Blacks ahead of the Black Ferns. Not by much. I'll be watching both. That's for sure. Um, the reason for me is I don't watch the All Blacks to watch a win. I watch the All Blacks to see how individual players and how the team's going as a whole. And when they play against Japan, okay, they might beat them by 50. They might, you know, lose by two. I don't know. But for me, it's seeing these guys getting a shot and seeing the growth of these players, and that's what. I love about when they when they're putting you know Pere Federer at 15 and um, Roger Tuivasa-Shek at 12 and, and stuff like that and Finlay Christie starting. For me, that's that's why I love watching the All Blacks is seeing these guys grow. You know. Yeah, look, I completely agree. I think it's the individual battles, it's the individual performances, and then within all of that, it's the whole collective thing. I think, look, I think if the Black Ferns were playing England or playing France, and I think there's only three teams that can win this Women's Rugby World Cup, I think there'd be a lot more people probably focused on the Women's World Cup um, because there is a genuine unknown, and I think the Black Ferns would go in as underdogs. But the fact we played Wales a couple of weeks ago, um, and I think it's a foregone conclusion... Uh, yeah, I think most eyes will still be on the All Blacks for the reasons you just just alluded to. Yeah, no, well, I'll definitely be watching the Black Ferns. I watched them last week, and I actually said to uh, Staffy, I just love that the ball's in play so much. It's 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 so refreshing. They're just there to play rugby. It's great. Oh, the resets of the scrums. Like I say, I've just been doing the Defence Ferns and the Defence Forces Rugby World Cup here, women's side of it, and um, it's been a stunning standard of rugby. And that's the thing I just loved. I mean, the, the area where I, I find it, they, they don't seem to, you know, exiting, kicking, uh, not a great strength. Um, but the scrums, just not the resets. You know, referees allowing yeah. quick tap penalties to go, and if you're not back your 10, you get penalised again. And there's a lot to like about the women's game, absolutely. The thing that has killed it for me here, Darren, a little bit, it's become so politicised. Everything has to have some political angle on it. We've got to constantly be reminded of the oppression women have had at the hands of men. Um, I think they're creating a bit of a false economy in terms of around its status, and it's now apparently as important as the men's game. And look, it might get there in time, but it, it's not. And so don't try and even pretend that it is. Just let it organically grow. Let us choose what we want to watch and don't tell us what we should be watching. Yeah, I agree. I mean, but I I, I do, I do. So, you know, we've all said it, the women's game is going to grow, and I'm excited to see where it's going to be in five years, you know, how 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 things progress and you know we're seeing some great players now um and we're going to see some even better players moving forward so hey, great Darren lovely having the program great call thank you do appreciate it thanks mate cheers Four, 14 minutes away from two hi Pete no we haven't got Pete no okay we'll take we'll take a break here on SENZ 14 minutes away from two oh eight hundred one five oh eight double one keep your texts coming um some really good texts that have come and we'll go to those in a minute uh, if you do want to have your say just before 2 o'clock, love to hear from you. I-800-150811. Uh, Peter Lester, America's Cup commentator, is going to join us after 3, give us a little bit of an update on the America's Cup. I want to find out what infrastructure is still here in New Zealand, what part of the team is still based in Auckland, uh, where's the testing being done. I know they have uh, released one of their test boats. Um, plenty of texts coming in. I love the texts that are coming in. A lot of uh, people saying really nice things. Um, 
I, I, I just want to address this one. Watto, completely agree with your thoughts regarding New Zealand Rugby Union and Sky TV being the PR department. Why can't we get something like New Zealand Rugby or NRL 360 where the Junos love, um, love them or hate them actually ask the hard question, love the show, cheers from Mac. Well, look, I went to Sky Television uh, down those lines and put a very good, um, what I thought, a prop together. And I went to Sky and said, look, if you look around the world and you look at the currency of most major sports networks, it's opinion-based television that is still the number one rating shows. You've only got to go across ESPN, um, Sky Television in the UK, the whole lot. And it's all opinion-based shows that have the highest level of engagement. You've only got to look here. Who's the biggest name in New Zealand radio? Well, it's Mike Hoskin. Whether you like him or not, it's because he has an opinion. Who's the most read columnist? Chris Ratu, because he has an opinion. And I, I, and I wanted to do a similar thing where basically sort of sit down and ask the hard questions of the head of New Zealand rugby, ask the hard questions of, say, Grant Dalton, ask the hard questions of the Players Association. Um, we might ask the hard questions of the headmasters at the moment, whatever those relevant issues are. But basically leave no stone unturned. No fear, no favour. Uh, even to the point where a lot of the questions would be sent prior, so none of them would be ambushed. Not there to necessarily show up the person you're interviewing. But clearly they're not going to get the follow-up questions. Um, and so they can put whatever PR spin on it if they want and have that pre-orchestrated. But I think we'd pick that apart fairly quickly. But then get a high level of discussion, get people the next day talking around the water cooler, talking about Sky Television. Um, and I sat in a meeting, and I knew that I was not, not going to get anywhere because, yeah, New Zealand rugby, while they own 5% of Sky, I'm thinking, yeah, but what about the other 95% of shareholders? Their share price is 21 cents. You can buy 10 for $2.20 or whatever it is. So it's 22 cents a share. It's on the share market at $2.20, but you can buy 10 shares for that. And I'm thinking, yeah, okay, but they don't want to upset New Zealand rugby. But no one's talking about New Zealand rugby. And there's only one thing worse than not, there's only one thing worse than being talked about, and that's not being talked about. And part of my plan was, well, let's get people talking about the game again. Let's ask the hard questions. Let's create that discussion. Let's get the media picking up on it then driving people back to Sky and getting a higher level of engagement. And I sat in a meeting, and one of the people in the meeting, when I sort of gave the examples of similar shows and how successful they are around the world, and then I mentioned the Mike Hosky, you know what their comment was to me? Oh, you're just trying to target half a million white people. I was like, what? I'm like, no, I'm just trying to target half a million people, which is 498,000 people more than what watch most of your domestic shows now, which are just crap. Zero engagement. But I was just taken back by the fact that it felt it almost bordered on racism. Unless you believe that the only people that are racist are European and therefore it's okay to put the boot into European people. But I was like, hang on a minute. The sheer price is 22 cents. But you're more into box ticking, being woke and getting headlines around the fact that You've got women rugby league commentators or the fact that you're sending five women journalists to the Commonwealth or Olympic Games and getting a headline. Meanwhile, people have bought their shares for $2, $1, $3 and thinking, how how am I ever going to get a return? What I was offering was a high level of engagement and a large audience. And I just shook my head 
And I thought to myself, your biggest issue going forward, if that's your mentality, Sky, is not going to be about building your audience or building your customer base. It's actually going to be retention. Because those half a million white middle class men are the reason why $17 million a year is spent on the Mike Hosking breakfast and advertising. They're also the majority of Sky shareholders and they're also the majority of Sky customers. But yet that was the attitude of Sky. And they wonder why no one's watching it. It is no longer the default setting at night for too many people. It's part of the reason I enjoy Spark, cheaper, nice range of sports to choose from. But I was just taken back by that. And the other thing is that you think about this. So Sky invests $450 million in rugby over five years. Surely that's a hell of a lot of money. Wouldn't you want to secure that investment? And what I mean by that is you need rugby to be popular. And whether you like it or not, negativity sometimes drives that popularity. Pick up a newspaper. Man's defeats are on the front pages. Man's victories are on the back. If you look at violent crime in the United States at the moment, it's the lowest it's been since the early 1960s, but our perception is it's incredibly high. But what you've actually seen is a proliferation in the reporting of violent crime because it rates. So my point being, have television shows that create discussion, that challenge people's thinking, that gets the tribalism back. Talk about the fact that the All Black 15 looks to me like Jason Ryan's picked it because there's such a strong Canterbury bias in it. Let's question that. Let's get that discussion going. Because when we had it going back with Laurie Maines back in the day, over whether he should have been all-black coach over John Hart, people were turning up. When Carlos Spencer was doing the fingers in front of the Canterbury crowd, people were turning up. But I, I just sit there, and like New Zealand rugby, just cannot believe how moronic these people are that are running Sky Television. And that they can allow that sort of attitude to be part of the upper management within the Sky organisation. Mortified, absolutely mortified. What? And look at the crap they have on TV. I mean, the breakdown is just a PR firm. And there's a reason why Ian Foster turns up on that show, doesn't turn up on shows like mine. They don't want to ask the hard questions. Now, the only controversy they discuss might be around payer selection, not the way the game's been run, not the way the game's been administered. Have a look at the English Premier League model. Wonder why that is a multi, multi billion dollar television deal every year. Because there's about nine or ten different narratives that are constantly going on. Some positive, some negative. Managers are personalities. We know a bit about the players. It's not cliched. Rugby's reduced itself to the 80 minutes in the middle of the park now, and it's not a good enough product to hold people. And you've got an organisation, a public company, who don't want to do anything to leverage it who don't want to do anything to secure their investment because they think 5% shareholders ride shotgun over the other 95% of shareholders. I never thought that taxis would become obsolete. I never thought movie theatres would become obsolete. I never thought CDs and then iPods would become obsolete but they have Kodak cameras became obsolete when you never thought that would happen the way Sky's going, Sky will become obsolete 
text coming in. Hi, what I agree with women's rugby. It's fine as a product. I was feeling guilty, though, about not loving it enough, but now realise what's going on. Sort of subconsciously being drilled into you that you have to watch it. News, sport and weather. Up next with John. It is four minutes after two. You're listening to SENZ. Telephone number is 0800 150 You can text us here on 8833. My next guest on the programme is a remarkable man. He's in his early 60s and he's just completed the world's toughest survival and endurance race. It is known as the Yukon 1000. It is a kayaking race down the Yukon River in the United States in some pretty extreme conditions under some pretty extreme rules. When he's not doing this, he's also the event director for an endurance race in this country called The Revenant, where in the five-year race history, only five athletes have finished. His name is Scott Worthington. He joins us. Afternoon to you, Scotty. Welcome. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about the Yukon 1000. When did you first hear about it and what is it all about? Um, first heard about it a couple of years ago, actually, um, through a mate of mine who's an adventure racer and I met during God's Zone and so forth. So something he mentioned to me and obviously um, COVID meant that even though we got accepted um, to be uh, a competitor, uh, prior to COVID, uh, the event didn't run until this year. Um, so that's how I got to know about it. And um, as I say, after a bit of a two or three years of training and getting up and getting down and getting up and getting down, we finally got to, to hit the start line this year. What does it involve? Uh, but it's a pretty simple base. Um, it uh, goes from point A to point B from Whitehorse in Canada to and finishes just a little bit. Um, north of Fairbanks in Alaska um, and is a unsupported 1,000-mile paddle. Uh, you can't do it as a solo. You've got to do it as a, a team of two um, uh, because of the nature of the race from a safety aspect. Um, and, yeah, you pack your gear. There's a mandatory gear list. And other than that, um, pretty much you're on your own and away you go. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the logistics of it all, um, what, what sort of um, kayaks are we talking about and how many different classes of boat? Okay, so there's, um, there's three classes of, of boat, um, with one of them um, only being accepted, I think, the, maybe this is the second year. So there is your traditional um, Canadian um, canoe, which is the, the sort of favoured transport. Um, then they, there's the kayak, which is generally going to be a sea kayak because you need something that's with enough room in it to, to take your gear. And then they do allow a um, stand-up paddleboard uh, section, um, and they've got to travel as pairs. So um, again, to keep the team concept. So they're the three. They're the three classes of, of boat that's allowed in a race. Okay. And, and what's the total distance? And was there a certain point throughout the race that you had to get to before being pulled out? Yep. Yep. Uh, so the distance is a thousand miles, or sixteen hundred kilometres, uh, from Whitehorse to basically the um, Dalton Highway Bridge, which is. Um, the bridge that brings the Alaskan pipeline across. Um, and um, there is only one uh, cut-off area, and that's at Dawson City, which is just under halfway. Um, and the only reason that there's really a cut-off at that point is because past Dawson City, there's nowhere to pull you out. There, there is nobody there. Um, and apparently we were told, and we, it sort of um, came home to us when we got up there, that... If you get yourself into trouble, 
um, and you could, um, you know, communicate and get yourself a helicopter in. It'd be about two and a half days before any of them arrive because there aren't any helicopters up there. Basically, they just use small seaplanes and um, they can land on lakes and that, but not on a moving river. So pretty much halfway Dawson, um, simply because there is a road in there and they can extract you if you don't want to go on or something happens. But other than that, uh, you're on your own. Okay, so now you're allowed to, what I understand, paddle up to 18 hours a day. You had to have a compulsory six-hour rest. How many kilometres would you cover in a day or what were you hoping to cover in a day? Yeah, so that was basically, yeah, you're right, there's a, there's only 18 hours that you can paddle and you've got to be off at six hours, so that a uh, bit of a safety thing. Um, so our game plan was pretty simple. It was to go hell for leather um, the first couple of days while we were still fresh and, and sleep deprivation hadn't kicked in. Um, and uh, the first day you've got a 50-mile lake to go across, um, which is slow going, so you've got to factor that in. So we ended up averaging just over 200 kilometres a day. Um, our biggest day was 290 kilometres. Um, and we banked most of that in the first couple of days. In other words, we thought if we could get on schedule, um, then in the latter part of the race when sleep was really kicking in as being an issue, um, we'd hopefully give ourselves a little bit of leeway, and we did. On our last day, we only, we only had 170k to do, which was nice after sort of doing 220 mm. a day. So. Now, I like when you say only paddling 170 kilometres in a day. Yes, you might have the current behind you, but you still got to move the arms. Now, you did this with a, a young man by the name of Ben Loft. Um, in terms of the camaraderie, um, the teamwork required, uh, what were some of the challenges there? I imagine, you know, fatigue, sleep deprivation kicking in. Did you have strategies for dealing with maybe any tension that might have cropped up or any um, disagreements? Yeah, I, I, I think that, um, you know, you certainly do have to have strategies. But I think the most important thing, and it's certainly what Ben and I um, did, um, you know, to know your paddling partner in a race like that, um, inside out is really important. And that doesn't happen overnight. So our biggest preparation was the fact that we've known each other for, for, for quite a while, uh, since pretty much uh, 2018 in the God's Own Fjordland year. And then obviously, in some ways, COVID helped because um, the fact that we didn't get to race for a couple of years meant that we just kept going into the bush and going down to Fjordland and doing all sorts of um, things together. So in the end, we knew each other backwards. Um, fatigue, um, all the little triggers about when someone was going to get a little bit pissed off or you know a little little, little bit anxious um, you knew everybody's little triggers and so you know I think the key thing is um, you train for that months months and months out from a race like that otherwise if you don't it doesn't matter what procedures you'll put in place if you don't really know that person chances are those procedures won't really be that effective. Mm-hmm. Now, what were some of the dangers? I mean, tell us, we are, I mean, you've got to do a high level of risk analysis here. Um, what, what were firstly some of the dangers just with the river and the boat itself and then some of the dangers maybe perhaps with, say, some of the wildlife? Okay, so, um, you know, obviously the, the, like any river, um, dangers and risks change from, from season to season depending on high, how high or low that water level is. And some rivers obviously that danger is accentuated sometimes when it's low rather than high or vice versa. For the Yukon, 
it tends to be when the river is high. And as it turned out, this was historically, they'd never had as much ice melt, and therefore the, the river, they'd never seen the height of the river before in recorded history, basically. Now, what that meant was that finding places to pull off it for that six hours was very, very difficult. And then when we got to an area called the Flats, which is a sort of story all of its own, that area became like a like a swamp in the sense of the really all the all the um, normal indicators for where you were at any given time were underwater. Um, so um, you know the, the height of the river created um, a lot of interesting things in terms of getting off the river at night, but also what was floating down the river. Um, so huge, huge log jams. Um, like you, you know, you can imagine them, but you can't really until you actually see the size of this river and and its catchment area over that many miles, and therefore how many trees can be caught up in a log jam. And when you're paddling towards one of those, which is you know going not a dissimilar speed to you, you're going a bit quicker than the flow. Um, you know, thinking about getting past it sounds easy, but if you go past and half that log jam decides to disintegrate in front of you and you get your boat caught amongst a whole bunch of floating, literally, trees, um, you can go under the water and be dead pretty quickly. So, you know, those those are the sort of type of on-river things. Um, the electrical storms created massive, massive wildfires. We were in wildfires for about two and a half days uh, with smoke, um, embers. Um, so, there's you know, there's that sort of thing. Um, and then, of course, you've got your wildlife. Um, bears and and so forth. So you got your sleeping protocols and uh, and so forth. So yeah, there, there are a lot of things to um, take into account when you're doing your risk mm. analysis. I mean, how realistic are the bear attacks? Is it just is it just a bit of a scare tactic? I mean, how yeah, what is the reality of that? How well, many bears did you see, and and what are some of the strategies you put in place? Uh, well, the re- I mean, the reality is like a lot of like a lot of wildlife. Um, it, it's sort of luck of the draw. So, you know, we came down and finished the race and said to the race director, well, you know, we, we, hadn't, we didn't have any problems in terms of the wildlife. Saw some, but, you know, just literally no issues. Uh, and yet other teams, you know, we had a moose running through somebody's tent and taking that out because they scared it. Um, you had people letting um, bear spray off in their, in their uh, tents <laughs> instead of at the bear because they were obviously feeling a bit anxious when it, when a bear was um, outside their sleeping quarters. Um, so, look, it, you know, the risk is real. Um, it's just luck of the draw, and we were lucky that we didn't really have any close encounters from that point of view. Um, but your strategies are pretty simple. Um, these are big predators. They um, work on scent. Um, and so you're just doing things like, you know, you have a completely separate... A set of clothes for your sleeping that you only sleep in. So you know what you paddle in during the day, what you you might you know eat at night. All of that, all of that clothing has scent because you've been eating. So you put that with your boat. You you move your tent somewhere else, and you have a completely separate set of sleeping clothes. So that if they do come into your camp, they're going to go and ravage through your boat, hopefully, and your food, and not you. Mm. Um, so you know beer canisters. Um, so it looked like a lot of things. It's just um, putting a plan in place and religiously sticking to it.
15 minutes after two, you're listening to SENZ. My guest on the programme is Scott Worthington. He's just come back from completing the world's toughest survival endurance race known as the Yukon 1000. Uh, Scott, paddling over 200 kilometres a day, fueling the body important, um, clearly having to self-cater. What sort of food did you take? How did you keep the calories up? And um, how did dinner and breakfast and lunch look? Um, well, yeah, um, I think you know, you know me well enough, Mark, that uh, I'm not a calorie counter. I just eat on basically what I think I need and how I feel. So we packed, um, mandatory was to pack 10 days worth of, um, of food because that was sort of a theoretical cutoff. Um, so our food consisted pretty much of um, dehydrated meals for, for the morning and, and, and evening. Um, and then during the day, just, you know, snacks, depending on your own personal taste. So for me, that was, you know, lots of bags of nuts and trail mix and, and, and stuff like that. And, and a few good old treats along the way, a few, few um, you know, wine gums and jet planes. Mm. So, um, you know, just um, be, being smart, um, the, the water... Is a bit of an issue on the river. You'd think it would be fresh. It is fresh, but from about Dawson City, it's not really drinkable because it's full of silt. So again, you're separating out and filtering your water at night. Um, so yeah, you, you, your mind's got to be on that fuel all the time. But we kept it, you know, really simple um, and um, and pretty much ate in the boat uh, on the move or basically would prepare. In the morning, what we needed for breakfast, and you know, as soon as you're on the water, um, you're at least on the boat moving. So, um, yeah, food's just part of the overall mm. plan. And to give the people an idea of the size of the landscape and the geography, you encountered forest fires over there that you paddled through for basically two days consecutively. Such was the scale of them. Yep, yep, yeah, we, um, in fact, a bit longer than that. Um, so we say we were averaging, two, say, 220 a day, and I think we paddled literally through the thick of them. Uh, there were, you know, at the end, they tailed off a bit, but where it was really, really heavy and thick smoke, we went for about two and a half days. So what's that, sort of uh, four, ne- 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 nearly, you know, 550-odd kilometres of continuous fires. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it, it makes it, uh, interesting. Um, but, you know, is, is, I suppose, an example of how extreme the weather. I mean, they were set off by the, uh, electrical storms. We got caught in one of those the night before we hit the wildfires, and that's obviously what triggered them. And, yeah, just massive, massive. I've never heard thunder like it, to be honest. Uh, massive, massive storms that came through, wind would get up, and, um, lightning and so forth, and so you're trying to make those decisions of do you carry on, and mm. when you see lightning strike almost beside you, uh, it makes your decision making pretty quick. Let's get out of here and get mm. off the water. Um, so yeah, look, those sort of things. Um, uh, are, everything's big up there, and I don't think I certainly didn't until you get there. You can look at it on a map and get an idea in your mind of how big the river is, but man, until you get there. You have no idea. Um, parts of it or good stretches, you thought you were on a lake, not not a river. Um, they were. It's just massive. Uh, Scott, mosquitoes. I understand another big issue, and not just any mosquito. These things, the size of a horse. Yeah, mosquitoes are a problem, and yeah, they're the size of a sparrow basically. Um, they're huge, and they are vicious, and they will go straight through 
I can testify they will go through two layers of a merino top without any problem at all and bite you. Um, and just when you start to, once you cross the um, the border from uh, Canada into Alaska and the mosquitoes started to get a little bit thinner on the ground uh, into the horse flies, um, and these flies are incredible things, and they just get in the bottom of your boat and you think you've, you know, you've got rid of them and all of a sudden they're biting you in the legs and so forth underneath your kayak skirt. So, yeah, a lot of the aerial stuff um, is it's not so bad when you're on the water, but at night when you're setting up camp, um, you just sprint. You literally sprint from the boat to getting your tent up. You don't stop moving until you can get in, mm. and then you kill whatever you can that's, that's managed to enter the tent. Um, and uh, hunker down and, and close your uh, much of your flesh off so you don't get bitten to death. Just finally, Scott, someone just want just somebody texting in, just wanting to know uh, what was the first thing that you ate properly once you arrived on terra firma. Um, the first thing that I ate. Well, what, properly what, what did you was, crave? What did were you determined to get? Uh, licorice. Brilliant! Brilliant! <laughs> brilliant! <laughs> I love black licorice, and so it was like, get me some black licorice, that will do me. In other words, I suppose a bit of a sugar rush, but um, yeah, and then we went into town in Fairbanks and uh, and, and got ourselves a decent burger. Um, so that was um, that was good. Well, Scott Worthington, lovely having you on the programme. Congratulations on finishing it, mate, and congratulations on continuing that sort of pioneering spirit, which is very much part of the New Zealand way. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. There you go. Scott Worthington, having just completed the toughest endurance race in the world called the Yukon 1000. There were a number of other New Zealand teams in it, but it's not something for the faint-hearted. You need to train incredibly hard. You've got to have a huge level of risk management. You've got to be an experienced multi-sporter, and you do have to truly understand the risks involved. This is not a walk in the park. Decision-making and the wrong decisions have some serious consequences. It is 21 and a half minutes after two. You're listening to SENZ. Mark Watson with you. We'll take a break. When we come back, we are talking the America's Cup with Peter Lester. We will bring you new sport and weather headlines at 2.30. Then we'll catch up with yachting commentator, America's Cup man, Peter Lester, and get the latest on Team New Zealand as well. And then coming up after... Three o'clock, we're going to talk some crankworks. We're going to talk mountain biking, downhill racing. Looking forward to this indeed. Very special guest on the programme. Text that's coming. Hi, what? I used to love the detail you would go into read drugs and athletics. Be great to get your view on where athletics is at the given at the recent World Champs and Commonwealth Games. For instance, is the rise of Italian sprinting too believed? All I will say, if you win the 100 metres at the Olympic Games, there's probably a good chance you're dirty. If you win the Tour de France, I think there's a good chance you're probably dirty. There are just certain sports in this world which I find hard to believe you can win doing it naturally. You've only got to have a look at, we had another Kenyan distance runner uh, banned for EPO use. I think that's 16 now of their top runners, yet I'm still made to believe that the greatest of them all, um, who under the Nike regime broke two hours for a very orchestrated marathon is somehow clean. I struggle with all of that stuff. I think there's a lot of PR around. Um, I think it's the same in business. If it's too good to be true, it's too good to be legal, and I think you can probably apply that to a lot of sport. Uh, There are still genuine statistical outliers in some sports which still give you faith. Um, I still think some of the field events are legitimate, but there's no real money in those, or there's not the commercialisation 
or perhaps the sex appeal in those sports. And I, I, when I say sex appeal, I mean the coolness. I don't mean it in any other way. Um, that perhaps goes with the 100 metres, perhaps goes with some of those other blue ribbon events. Um, hey, I just call it as I say, I've been to enough Olympic Games now. Um, yeah, and you've only got to go and Google a lot of it. And so that's my point of view on it. Yeah, we saw a meteoric rise in Italian sport full stop at the last Olympic Games, and I must admit I was sort of scratching my head a little bit going, hey, where are they suddenly coming from? Um, but, yeah, hey, often we'll never know, will we? But this argument that, oh, they never failed a drug test, how dare you? Well, Marion Jones never failed a drug test. Somebody sent in a test tube with an artificial drug in it. Lance Armstrong never tested. He basically ended up having people blow the whistle on him. And as I say, if you, you know, you're innocent until proven guilty or you've got to have the evidence to back up, my argument to that is was Al Capone only ever guilty of tax evasion because that's all he ever was tried for. That's all they ever found him guilty on. But we know that his um, history of illegality went well beyond just tax evasion. But feel free to keep your texts coming. Really enjoying them. Double eight, double three. Telephone number is 0800 We're going to talk some America's Cup with Peter Lester, not too far away. Get the latest. What part of Team New Zealand still based here in New Zealand? What's in Barcelona? Where are we at? How's this competition progressing? But first and foremost, let's catch up with John. Let's get some sports news and weather. He was brought up in Littleton, but he saw the light. He moved to Auckland. He won a dinghy class world championships back in the 1970s, twice New Zealand Sailor of the Year. These days, the voice of the America's Cup. He's still a hardcore Crusaders fan. Peter Lester joins us. Peter, good afternoon. Welcome. G'day, Watto. How are you? Great introduction, I thought. Yeah, very good. Very good. It's a bit like a, a spent record, though, isn't it? Oh, well, a little bit, Peter, a little bit. Peter, hey, look, you've uh, been down to Team New Zealand today. Question I've got for you, mate, uh, just to get some clarity. How much of Team New Zealand is in Barcelona and how much is still here in Auckland? And if there is Team New Zealand here in Auckland, what are they doing and how is it benefiting Aucklanders? Oh, well, you know, I'd almost say 95% in Auckland. And um, they've actually moved into the... Um, Ineos base from the last cup um, down in the in the Winyard quarter, and I, I walked in with an open mind to be honest. And wow, it's impressive. You walk in, the place is clinical. It, it, it's like a um, a surgical library, uh, um, you know, a, a surgical um, doctor's surgery, spotlessly clean, and people are pretty focused. So. It looks to me in there is uh, there's a hell of a lot more designers and engineers than there are sailors. Uh, certainly, Burley and Turk and Josh Junior and uh, Nathan Alfred were wandering around doing their thing along with Ray Davies on the on the sports side. But but without a doubt, the mo- at the moment at Team New Zealand, the focus is on um, the technology. And you've got to remember they've got to start building this new boat. They're only allowed to build one for the next America's Cup. But they'll start building that thing probably end of April, May next year. So right now the decisions that are being made within Team New Zealand and within all the America's Cup teams will really seal their destiny, um, how successful they will be in Barcelona 
what in just over two years' time. Mm. So basically the majority of the business um, is still here based in Auckland and that boat will be built here in Auckland. And what about the test boats? Yeah, they've got a test boat in the shed. Um, the test boats, the, the one design test boats that they have got were designed by Team New Zealand and that's an option for all the teams to pick up that 40-footer. Uh, and that's the boat that's sort of half-size boats. That's the boats that will be used as one design in the Youth Americans Cup and the Women's Americans Cup. But um, Team New Zealand have got the first one. It's been here. It's been certainly rumbling around the, the golf, and, and it looks impressive. Uh, but they're obviously at the moment doing quite a big, um, a, a big analysis and possibly some changes to that boat, maybe taking it out of one design into... Uh, into the um, development stage for them. So that's sitting in the shed and um, they, there are a hell of a lot of people working on that. But more impressively was upstairs where the designers are and that is a big organisation. Um, and that they, they were hammered down, absolutely hammered down doing their thing. In terms of benefit to Auckland in New Zealand, I mean, all of the Team New Zealand bits that are going on now will be designed and built uh, and developed in in New Zealand, so the majority of their their work and their return, you know, to to the boating industry is happening in Auckland with the likes of Southern Spas that make the masts, North Sails that do the sails here, um, Sea Tech who do some of the um, real high tech carbon fibre work. They they're out in Henderson. They they will be frantic at the moment manufacturing for Team New Zealand. Uh, what about some of the other syndicates? Are they having any of their boats built here? Is there any sort of uh, mandatory um, rule that says the boats must be built in this country? No, essentially you've got to build the boat in your country. So the, the only boat that will be boats that will be built here uh, will, be, will be that New Zealand boat. And they've got a separate facility in New Zealand that's over on the North Shore. And, and they had that for the last America's Cup where Sean Regan and the, the boat building crew, um, they won't be far off getting underway on that new boat. Yeah, yeah. so the test boats, okay, they're scaled down, they're 40 foot, but how much can we read into the design of those versus the design of the final boat that comes out? A lot, a lot, especially in the systems on board, the systems that drive the foils, the systems that, that drive the hydraulics, to do, you know, the, the trimming of the sails. Um, uh, that could be one of the keys to the door in terms of the next America's Cup. But what's really noticeable is a few boats going in the water at the moment of these 40-foot designs. So remember the America's Cup boat is 75 feet. These boats are 12 metres, so they're just on 40 feet. Um, the New Zealanders have got that. They were first to, to put their boat in the water, and, and that's done, what, two or three weeks here sailing. Um, the Italians, so Luna Rossa, have launched their first test boat, the 40-footer, um, and and that looks very, very similar for my eye to what uh, to Ruhatai was that won the America's Cup here for Team New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So it's a scaled-down version. And just overnight, in fact, the English Ineos, that's Ben Ainsley and his team, they have launched also a 40-footer, half-size boat, mm-hmm. test bed. Um, so there's a, a fair bit going on at the moment in America's Cup circles with everyone working to that timeline of when they start building their new boat because they can put the boat in the water, they can test and develop, and then they're going to make some decisions of what direction they go 
um, for their their race boat, which they'll start building mm. mid next year. How much intellectual property can your opponents, can the America's Cup challengers steal from looking at these design boats? I mean, what can, what information can you gain from them? Equally, Team New Zealand looking at, say, what Ineos have just done. Oh, a lot, a lot, because what what's happened under the rules of this next cup, which has never happened before in the America's Cup for, for, that, that I can remember, they've opened up reconnaissance. So that means that each challenging group and the defender team New Zealand, they have to, the independent from the teams, they're running a reconnaissance program. And that data that comes from those independent reconnaissance experts and they, they're from an engineering background that then is published to all the america's cup syndicates in fact if you're a yachting buff it's, it's online as well you can dig in there and have a look so that means anything that's going on at the moment that's out in the public domain out on the water very quickly like 24 hours after they've been on the water is made publicly available uh, so that means what's going on at the moment is out there. The other interesting thing that I, that I learned this morning, and I'd heard whispers of this, is that, um, um, you know, Drive to Survive, the Formula One program that's yep. so popular on Netflix, something similar is happening for the next America's Cup. And my understanding is the teams will have to, be, under the protocol, allow the drive to survive within each syndicate to be made available. Now, that program will is underway already, and, and when, that, when that series of, it's going into production, when that comes out, and I'm sure it will come out just before the America's Cup, that will be fascinating, because you cannot hide from what you're doing under the new protocol. Yeah, but, but should it be too late then to make the changes, won't it though, Peter, or, or will it? Yeah, too late then too late then, yep. that, that's when we, the, the likes of you and I will see it. But, but certainly if teams are getting reconnaissance from other teams at the moment in the public domain, that could influence the designs that we will see next year. Mm-hmm. Okay. They've, we- made, they've made the event a lot more open, is, mm-hmm. is, I guess, is what, in short, is what, mm-hmm. we're trying to, uh, what they're trying to do. Okay, the Swiss boat Lingy, they've aligned themselves, I think, with Red Bull, Formula One. What are they, how are they going to benefit from an F1 allegiance? Where's that technology? What area are they kind of focused oh, I, on? I think it's a threat. It's a threat to the other challenges, and it, it could well be a threat to Team New Zealand uh, um, if Alinghi are successful to get through the America's Cup. And, and let's not forget, Alinghi have won the America's Cup once and they've defended it. So they are formidable. And um, so Now, Alinghi bought the New Zealand uh, boat one, and, and that's what they've been designing. As a new team, they're allowed to sail their boat one uh, and, and to try and get them up to speed with the, the other existing America's Cup teams that were in Auckland. So they've had boat one in Barcelona, out on the water, uh, and they've been rumbling around. Looks to me as though they've been having a few control issues with the boat, um, which means maybe they didn't get the, the, the control package that the New Zealanders developed. But um, they will get there very, very quickly with the help of the technology, I'm sure, from Red Bull. Uh, Peter, a lot of people listening to this are going, why are we making it such a level playing field? Why are we having so much transparency? We're already taking this to Barcelona. We're going to be in unfamiliar waters. Do we actually want to win this thing? I mean, let's be honest, the America's Cup's always been a little bit of skullduggery. It's never quite been a level playing field. Oh, this is only the bits we know about, though, mate. You know, there'll there'll always be stuff that, that, that... that is a little bit um, kept under the radar. The reality is, though, that 
with the way technology is now, with the way social media works, with the way the transfer of information around the world, you might as well open it up because it's going to get out there anyway. Uh, and, and I think with the competition from the likes of World Rally, you know, when the uh, World Rally cars were here, which I thought that coverage was brilliant, if you don't jump on this train that Formula One have been forced into, uh, World uh, Rally Car Championships, they've been pulled into it, and, and the America's Cup is heading that way as well. And it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating story because of the technology and the mm. people that develop that technology. Yeah, and Team New Zealand have always said that, and I know Sir Stephen Tyndall, head of the warehouse, who was a lot of part of in the background, he's always said that, that Team New Zealand, it's not a, this is not a, a sporting syndicate, this is a technology company. Oh, without a doubt. And listen, I, you know, I've been around this all my life, but just walking in there today, I thought, my goodness, it's, I didn't think really, how, how, how high can you raise the bar? Hmm. There's no doubt it's a serious organisation. They're, they're a serious bunch of intellects down there. And, and it looks to me, I was, well, I was in there for about two hours this morning, I think they've raised the, hmm. the technology bar and the level of expertise bar possibly to another level. Hmm. Hey, Peter, I know you well enough, and therefore I can joke it a little bit, but when you walked upstairs and saw all the engineers and designers, did you feel a bit stupid? <laughs> well, you know, I don't even need to answer that. <laughs> you know I, 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 know, I know I'd feel stupid. I'd be like, oh, I, oh, I feel a little bit inferior here. I'm not sure my intellectual uh, capacity is anywhere remotely deserve it of being on the same floor, in the same room, breathing the same air as yeah. these people. Yeah. There's some serious brain power down there. But you know what really struck me is how young they are? Yeah. That, 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 they're, you know, these people that are developing these tools and they're, they've got a hell of a lot of responsibility. It looks to me as though they're just out of high school. Now, the reality is they're in their, their early, mid-20s, a lot of them. And Dan Berners-Sconi's been around the, the traps uh, along with Guillaume Verdier for a long time. But they've got a formidable design team. I, I wonder whether, in terms of the pecking order of America's Cup design and technology teams, I think Team New Zealand are still a click ahead of the others. Peter Lester, lovely having you on the programme, my good man. You enjoy the weekend of sport to look forward to. All the best, mate. Have a good one. Thank you. Peter Lester there talking all things America's Cup. Some interesting, um, yeah, some interesting developments. I know there's a lot of animosity out there towards Team New Zealand being off to Barcelona, but you can hear there that the yachting industry is still benefiting Team New Zealand. Most of their work is still being done back here in New Zealand. It is 14 minutes away, or 15 minutes away from three. You're listening to SENZ. If you want to comment on that America's Cup interview, feel free, 0800 150 Not quite as good looking as Mark Stafford. Mark Watson with you. Telephone numbers 0800 150 Someone just texting in here saying the New Zealand Disability League team play a World Cup final against England on Monday morning, 7am. Go the Kiwis. Our sentiment is 100% behind you. Go the Kiwis. Eugene, good afternoon. Welcome. Yeah, hey, what a, it's good to have you back on the radio. I really wanted to talk to you at about just after lunch. But look, I love the story on Scotty uh, Worthington. Um, amazing. Um, and it was out of it how he, he craved licorice. And it reminds me of horses, how they love molasses. Uh, and with the Derby Day and the Melbourne Cup coming up, it's, it's a bit of an omen. Yeah, yeah. No, look, I, I just thought it was, you know, I, I love hearing those stories because we all sort of think about, you know, going on those adventure type races and then some people are lucky enough to be able to go and do them and um, just finding out what does go on behind the scenes. Um, ironically, yes, Scott's uh, wife is uh, loves her horses and they have horses on their property and I'm sure they have lots of molasses as well. 
Look, uh, what I look, what I really, I want to fire up quite a few topics. Uh, you yep. basically, listen, with the 1A Auckland, um, uh, look, with suicide youth, um, Auckland's been shit at rugby. Um, I would love to see North Harbour 1A and Northland Tanifas get more coverage on the back of East Coast uh, Nati Palo mm. uh, winning as well as a bit of a moment. And look at the breakers coach. When I was growing up, what I, my favourite player was Buck Shelford and Michael Jones, and he said he'd love to meet Buck Shelford. I think North Harbour and Northland, who have been neglected by Auckland rugby and politics, if these boys want to look pretty for the... It shouldn't stop other um, franchises like the Tanifars, who did really well beating Auckland and North Harbour. And I, I would love to see um, 1A North Harbour and Northland um, take advantage. Yeah, yeah look, I mean, uh, Whangarei uh, boys do start to play in the North Harbour competition. There's a call for some of the North Harbour to combine with the Auckland 1A. They do it across all other sport. Not sure why that hasn't happened. Um, but look, the reality is, mate, kids have got to learn how to lose again. Certain schools just can't keep dominating. Take the pressure off them. Uh, let's put the emphasis on club rugby. Let's try and get New Zealand rugby healthy again without continuing to erode so many layers. Hey, look, Eugene, just I'll give you. T- I've only got about thirty seconds, mate. So just just one more point, if you can, please. Okay. Well, I just want to big ups to Wellington Lions and uh, TJ, and a big ups to Izzy Dags Horse Pungal Racing tomorrow, um, and the Carbine Group Three. I think he's a really good horse. Um, the Derby Sharp and Smart, the Kiwi, is a very good horse for Rogerson. And um, I love a roughie in the last isotope, $14. Um, go the black caps, hit them up like Al-Qaeda. I hope you win the World Cup. And good luck to Jason Winyard uh, yep. in the World Champs. Yep. I think he's another hero of mine. Yeah, no, hey, well said, Eugene. Do appreciate it. Yes, we'll be following Jason Winyard. Had him in studio not that long ago for a one-on-one sit-down one hour. I know Mark followed it up too on this show. A few others have done it as well. One of the real hard men, one of the most underrated athletes in New Zealand, our woodchopper, the great Jason Winyard. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more. Yeah, just want to re-emphasise that. You'll hear a number of um, commercial partners on the station, Gull being one of them. Uh, look, if you listen to the station, you go past a Gull service station, please fill up your gas there. Look after those businesses that allow us to go to air. Uh, temper bedposts, the text machine, of course, temper and bedposts range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body. Okay, so it's quite unique. So you can put your head up, put your feet up, do it in comfort. Uh, after three o'clock, we are going to talk some crankworks. This is this world-class sporting festival returning to New Zealand November 5th in Rotorua. It's all about mountain biking. It's all downhill. These guys are nutters. It's crazy. It's brilliant. Uh, top international riders going head-to-head with a number of our Kiwi riders. And so a really, really big event coming to New Zealand. We'll talk that after three. Someone just wanting to know if the wood chopping with Jason Winyard is on. Look, you can follow it via YouTube, okay, live. Just Type in Steel, S-T-I-H-L, that's that brand, Timber Sports. And I'm sure that will lead you to it. I can tell you the times. It will be 10 a, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Saturday morning for the wood chopping with Jason Winyard. And then 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. is his individual event on Sunday. So just put in Steel Wood Chopping. And um, hopefully you can find coverage of one of New Zealand's most underrated athletes. Right, let's catch up with John. Let's bring you some sports news, some news and some weather here on SENZ. It is three minutes after three, four minutes after three. You're listening to SENZ. Mark Watson with you, hoping to catch up and talk with downhill mountain bike star Sam Blenkinsop. 
as we count down to Crankwork set to go in on the 5th of November, uh, so in just over a week's time. Just can't quite get hold of them at the moment, but we will keep trying. So look, if you want to have your say on the program, 0800 150 It is a big weekend of sport. We've looked at some of the um, talking points, I guess, between 12 and 2, maybe a little bit of a, a doom and gloom at Merchant. But it is an exciting week to, weekend to look forward to. Um, I'm expecting the All Blacks to beat Japan. But as one caller said, and I agree with him, you watch the All Blacks now to watch some of the individual performances. And I'd imagine there'll be a lot of eyes on Roger Tuivasa-Shek tomorrow at second 5-8. I'm not convinced. I felt his selection was a little bit of a PR move, to be perfectly honest. Um... I still would like to see the best team on the field, knowing that we've got to play Scotland in a week. And those players that are unavailable, the Barretts, Sam Whitelock, well, you can't do much about it, but I still would like to have seen Adi Sevilla play. Still like to have seen Rico Awani at centre, if that's in fact where they're going to play him against Scotland, uh, against Wales. Uh, really pleased for Stephen Perifetta. I mean, I think he's been stuffed around a lot. When you think about it, I think the Super Rugby final was back in July. Was it July 16th or July? uh, No, June 16th or June 18th. Played 57 seconds in one test match. He's played a few NPC games, but really hasn't had a lot of rugby. I'm not sure how he continues the development if he's not being played. And that might contradict what I've just said. I'm happy to endorse Stephen Perifetta, yet at the same time saying play your best team. Well, I felt that Stephen Perifetta possibly should start at fullback if Will Jordan wasn't going to be fullback. Equally, Women's World Cup take on Wales. How do we end up playing Wales in a quarter-final when they were part of our group and we only played them a few weeks ago? Somehow you could work the draw where you don't meet the other team out of your pool unless they somehow make it all the way through to the final and then you meet them again, like we did with the French in 87, like we did with the French in 2011. But if you have to choose one, which one are you going to watch and Why? Not ideal, but it is what it is now. Just a major stuff up from New Zealand rugby. I don't think there's anything political in it. I don't think that we need to politicise reasons why this has happened. I don't think this is an anti-women thing and um, a lack of respect. It's just stupidity. I think New Zealand rugby have put their hand up and basically admitted that. 0800-150-811 is the number. A T20 Cricket World Cup, Sri Lanka and England to come. Disappointing that we had to accept a, a, a draw because of the rained-out match against in Afghanistan, which a team I think we would have definitely have beaten. But also interesting to see that Zimbabwe beat Pakistan. T20 Cricket, I think it's hard to get momentum. I think one player can take it away from a team. One player on their night can take it away from anyone, whether it be a batter, whether it be a bowler. And I sort of liken a little bit to tennis. If you made tennis just one set, how many times would Roger Federer lose? How many times would likes of Nadal have lost? And so it can be a little bit fickle. There'll be all eyes though will be on Australia, England, 
you sense that whoever loses that is probably going to struggle to go to post-section play, if I can use that bowling term. And then, of course, we've got rugby league as well this weekend, so lots of sport to look forward to. Uh, if you do want to comment, 0800-150-811. Final thoughts, too, on the 1A competition. Uh, anyone think that the Auckland schools not allowing television cameras in is a bit woke, but politically correct is stupid, and that it's these headmasters are overthinking it? Or are they the ones on the ground, they're the ones daily that are seen in the impact of it, and it's the right decision? Now, as I said earlier, I, I was very lucky to do the first ever two years of College First 15 Rugby on Sky, did the first ever game with Keith Quinn, Bull Allen, Ken Laban, and it was Auckland Grammar, Mount Albert Grammar. It started with the best intentions, but it's become a bit of a monster. And emphasis needs to go back on club rugby. And that's where New Zealand Rugby should go to Sky, their broadcast partner, and say, enough of schoolboy rugby, let's do the club rugby and make that the stepping stone. Let's put the emphasis on that. And one thing by putting the emphasis on the club rugby, we get rid of size. And I think too many kids are given the label of super talented at school, where really I think a large part of it is just because they're simply just bigger than a lot of the other kids they're playing. And when they're 18, have they ever really truly been tested? Where I think club rugby tests you. 0800 is the number if you want to have your say on any of these issues. Uh, Mills Malayena, there's an article on Rugby Pass, which was written by Hamish Bidwell. Where, and I didn't realise it, but on the breakdown, we basically had Mills Malayena, 100 test All Blacks, saying it's OK if we lose to Scotland. When did it become okay for the All Blacks to lose? Does anyone else buy into that sentiment, or are you slowly being broken down? A nation no longer mourns when the All Blacks lose because it's becoming all too regular. It's becoming habit. And how dangerous is that? Club rugby's gone. MPC's gone. Super rugby's slowly been eroded. More rest and rotation coming next year, and they wonder why people don't turn up. And now, apparently, it's okay if the All Blacks lose as long as they win the World Cup. When is New Zealand rugby going to realise that this is just not healthy? This is just not viable? That unless they change their mentality and stop measuring everything by the bottom line, they're going to get themselves into a world of trouble in the long term. 0800 150 Anything else on your mind that you do want to discuss, we're happy to take your calls. Hi, John. Yeah, Mark, it's never been all right to think they were going to lose to Scotland. Um they're probably in a bit of a purple patch, but uh, they never, never, and they will never be up to the All Black standards. So, for the All Blacks to think that it's all right to lose to them, well, they shouldn't be there, really. Yeah, look, I think Scotland have got a really good chance of beating us. I genuinely do. Um, I think Wales have got a good chance of beating us next week. I'm still not convinced that this All Black... You know, people seem to think somehow the All Blacks have turned it around because we beat Australia at Eden Park and walloped them. I mean, Australian rugby's woeful. They've been terrible for two or three years. You've only got to look at the depth in their super rugby. They're not a team that got up flat in defence. They're not a forward pack that put up too much resistance, unlike the Irish. So I think we're going in with a little bit of a false economy and, and a little bit of a false expectation on where this All Black team's at. 
Yeah, probably, mate. But um, hey, just want to make a shout out too. Good, good commentary on the um, Defence Force World Cup too. What? Oh, thank that you. That was awesome to watch. Yeah, no, thank you. Actually, that final, and, uh, that final, the final between New Zealand and France got about fifty something thousand views on YouTube at the moment. Yeah. No, I appreciate oh, you. Man, I'm it was appreciate good footy. It was good footy. Appreciate you having watched that, John. I say the hardest thing with that commentary gig is not knowing the names that well. So you're learning them as you go. Where you know, if you commentate the mm. All Blacks or Auckland, you, the names just sort of roll off. But at that level, you're sort of constantly checking who's who. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, and your Te Reo Māori was awesome too. Good on you, mate. Yeah, trying to work a little bit on that, mate. Um, doing a bit more across Māori TV. And, uh, no, look, a big believer in all of that, mate. I've got no problem with that. And more than happy for Te Reo to be a part of any curriculum. Um, I think it is important, mate. Yeah. Yeah, good on you, Māori. All right, then, cheers. Thanks, John. 0800 uh, is the number. Um, hey, Watto, texts have come in. I agree with the 1A here. We need to let kids be kids. They have enough pressure already, and talent will get through regardless. That comes from Keb. Someone's saying, this comes from Dale, for the women's rugby, it should just be for the first round of playoffs. You can't play the same team in your group. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. I mean, we've, we belted Wales a couple of weeks ago, and somehow we're expected to believe Wales are going to turn this around and the result is going to be different. I think the real intrigue with the Women's World Cup, because there's only three teams that can legitimately win it, contrary to how they want you to believe that there's great depth in it. I think the intriguing games are going to be the semi-finals where we will play France, and if we get past France, England clearly. I've spoken to some players who have watched the England team play, and someone said, man, they are a big side, and their first five is incredible. But you're asking me what I'm going to watch tomorrow. Um, I'll watch the All Blacks because I'm curious, because I'm still not convinced Ian Foster has got this right. But if we do get it right, then I think a lot of credit does have to go to Jason Ryan and Joe Schmidt. And people go, well, hang on a minute, mate. If they get it right, why can't Ian Foster accept some responsibility? For the same reasons, why wasn't Ian Foster sacked and his two assistants were sacked? So if you're going to sack the two assistants when the team's going bad, then surely you've got to give praise to the two assistants when the team's playing well. That's just logical, isn't it? Spare lines, if you do want to have your say, 0800 150 811 is the number. You're listening to SENZ. You can text us here on 8833. Oh, I've got a couple of callers. We'll get to Zane and Jesse in one moment. Uh, text that's come in from Scott Logan. My view on the schoolboy rugby is we need to make sure we aren't limiting athletic selling by making them peak too soon, and some programmes are certainly doing that. School rugby should be a pathway to club or academy, not the pinnacle. Long-term athletic development is more important. Look, yeah, and, and the problem with schoolboy first 15 rugby is if it's becoming the focal point and the stepping stone to higher honours, it doesn't actually cater for the late developer. And you need to cater for the late developer. And that's where I think senior club rugby is. Also, schoolboy rugby places too much emphasis on size. And I think when it comes to talent, it's not a true definition. Um, Peter Mick saying, I'll watch women, like the flow if the game, uh, uh, I like the flow of the game. We'll watch men's just to see Roger Tuivasa-Shek. He needs his chance. I hope he will surprise with his skills. Headmaster's making right choice, duty of care, but we don't want to go and then cover some age group clubs. We will not even miss a beat from Wales or Scotland. Uh, we do need a squad of players that just can't slot in and play if injuries happen. That comes from Peter. Thanks, Peter. Do appreciate it. Some more texts that I'll get to too. Uh, Zane, good afternoon. Welcome. 
G'day, Watto. Hey, um, I tend to agree with you, as usual, on this um, school thing. I think it's good that they've taken the, um, the attention off the schools up in Auckland there. And I agree with the concept that um, NZR should and Sky should get behind a national club under-21s comp, start getting some of this funding from sponsors and the rev- um, you know, broadcaster revenue back into clubland, which is the lifeblood of um, footy at the end of the day. And like you said, um, it looks after the late developers, not just promoting these kids who are, you know, six foot four and 100 kgs and can run 100 metres in 11 seconds mm. in high school. And the other thing for me is I think you'll find the kids will be more, you'll, you'll, you'll find the tougher mentally um, strong kids because at school they're forced to play and practice or they lose their scholarships, right? Um, whereas at a club, they're there because they want to be rather than being forced to be there by their parents. Uh, yeah, look, I agree. And uh, as I said, it's just also, it's just, yeah, we just, you know, you're not tested always. If you're in a big first 15 program here in Auckland and you've just got superstars around you and you're also a superstar, well, you're not used to losing. And I think you've got to learn how to lose before you learn how to win. But you've got to be tested. You've got to be challenged. And that will come at club rugby. You know, if, if you're just relying on size, um, club rugby will sort that out real quick. And, you know, you'll be forced to become more multidimensional. Well, I think, you know, when you get in a club structure, I remember in our under-21s, we got a really good group of players who came back. We'd all been out of school for a while. And we had some really, really good players, played Wellington rugby, but they'd get a call up in the prems every now and then, and they'd come back battered and bruised and realise they're still a wee way behind it. Whereas you get these guys coming out of school now, you get pissed off and want to go overseas if they don't get an All Blacks contract first year out, you know? Yeah, well, that's it. that's it. There's no adversity anymore. No one's prepared to hang around and wait. Oh, what do you mean I didn't get picked, but I was a star at school? I, I still reckon the Akira Awani, and there's been issues around his attitude. I reckon it was part of you because when he was at Auckland Grammar School, those guys were just superstars, and they were put up on a pedestal, and I don't think they, uh, when they left school, I don't think that attitude was left behind. And... You know, it's been detrimental. Look, I've got a text that's coming here from someone that played in Todong, and I'll read it out because I think it's relevant. Afternoon, mate. Was lucky enough to play a couple of games on TV for Todonga Boys First 15 at school. Now, for someone who was never going to go the whole uh, way and crack it professionally, it was an awesome experience. And I think most kids jump at the opportunity. Way too PC ridiculous. Look, there's merit in that. I get it. But also, Tauranga boys, who are they always getting flogged by? They're getting flogged by Hamilton, aren't they? Hamilton Boys High School. And what have Hamilton boys done? They're basically a Chiefs provincial team. They just pick kids from right across the entire region. And they've created monopoly. I mean, why doesn't Hamilton have a really strong first 15 comp like Christchurch? Like Auckland. It's got the population. I didn't mean for you to hang up, Zane. I didn't mean for you to hang up. I was going to get you to comment off the back of it. But thank you for your call, as always, Zane. Hope you're still listening. Uh, Jesse, good afternoon. Oh, afternoon to you, Mark. How's lovely Perth, mate? Oh, mate, it's lovely. I'm hardly working on a Friday, but very happy to hear you on there talking some sense. No, occasionally I do, Jesse. Oh, mate, I want to start with, I heard someone last night call up and they were talking about Japan and they were talking about how prepared they'll be, just as Japanese, just the Japanese people, how they would prepare. So they're going to be up for this tomorrow. And the all black boys that are coming in that haven't played rugby for months, they're going to have to quickly be prepared for systems coming at them, defensive patterns. It's going to be a good game. Oh, look, I don't disagree, and it's much improved Japan. I wonder, though, whether Japan have a mental bit of a mental block against us, like they've beaten Ireland at the last World Cup, they've beaten South Africa previously, um, you know, and they've put some very good performances up. It's whether or not 
they can get past the aura of us. But, you know, well coached by Jamie Joseph. Uh, this is a team, this is an all-black team who, look, have lost four tests this year. We're still unsure about uh, the if the impact um, of Joe Schmidt and Jason Ryan. Um, but, you know, if it was the old coaching staff and those two weren't involved, man, you seriously give Japan a chance of winning this. <laughs> Mate, I'm a bit. Look, I'll be honest. I'm about thirty percent nervous. <laughs> I'm about thirty percent nervous because, look, I, I've, strange things have happened watching these All Blacks of late. <laughs> well, yeah, but but I mean seriously, um, yeah, it, it's an unknown, isn't it? Yeah. What, what's yeah. Consi- what, what, I mean, what's, what what is considered a pass mark tomorrow? I would have thought. 50 points. I was seriously, I would have thought 50 points is a pass yeah. mark against Japan. Am I being unrealistic there? Am I not giving Janet Japan enough respect? But if you look at the historically, I think we're entitled to have 50, point, 50 points. My biggest concern, Jesse, is that suddenly you get Ethan de Groot, you get yeah. the Barrett brothers next week, you get yeah. Artie Sevilla, you get Rico yeah. Awani and a number of other players, um, Will Jordan, and you go. Boys, you haven't played rugby for a while, and first up is Wales, who haven't beaten us <laughs> since 1953. Their game is not dissimilar to that of Ireland yeah. and England. We've seen, and the French, we've seen the damage they've done to us. And mm. can we really afford to do that? Yeah, exactly. And I think it goes back to what you guys were talking about with the school rugby as well. Just with, it is silly if they go all through a system. They're looked after, high performance. Put them. Have a better club competition. Let these kids actually see how good they are against grown men that are living normal lives, mate. They'll get wallet brought down to life. They'll be better players for it. Well, some of them, some of them will get found out, and you're right. Some of them will just grow from it. Because I'll keep saying this: passion and desire yep. is a wonderful thing, but it's really yep. easy to keep that up when things are going your way. The greatest challenge <laughs> is adversity, and so see how yep. see. Truly test somebody's passion and desire, and they'll tell you how much they want it. But see how they go in an adverse situation. How hard they're still prepared to work, and what they're prepared. You know, are they prepared to gravitate towards yeah. their weaknesses? And are they going to? And are they going to go to training after work all day, or has mummy and dad made them a nice little feed to get ready to go to training at school with all these? You know, it's, it's, it'll be yeah. They need to be toughened up, Mark. That's all I'll say, mate. But I'm wishing you a great weekend. <laughs> yeah, no, looking forward to it. Commentating some Q Sports over the weekend, actually. A bit of pool, eight ball. Looking forward to doing that. Quite enjoy that, actually. It's quite a, it's a lot, to, lot of little subtleties that go with nine ball, eight ball, pool, those um, Q Sports. Very lucky to work alongside some very, very good experts, too. Uh, just all about controlling the Q pool. It's like anything. Any sport at the highest level, there are just subtleties that um, separate good from great. Remarkable what a good player can do in terms of controlling their cue ball on the table. Uh, someone just texted in, Josh texted in, Hi Mark, Women's World Cup, not much coverage, especially TV. On other sides in competition, we're getting a media spin on the New Zealand side. Look, I agree completely. That's what's ruined the Women's World Cup for me, just too politicised. Too much of this um, standing up against oppression and all of it. Uh, it's not the time and place for that story. That, that's Those discussions have been had. I think a lot of areas have been addressed. Let's just enjoy the rugby for what it is rather than having to inflate the number of people watching it. Is this the greatest hucker that's ever been performed? Um, all of this nonsense and rubbish. Uh, one thing we will find out tomorrow, but we'll never know because the numbers won't be released, but how many people are going to watch the Black Ferns play Wales in a World Cup versus the All Blacks playing Japan. 
how big is women's rugby in comparison to men's? Is the divide as narrow as the media would like us to believe? Or is there still a big gap? And if the Black Ferns were to lose against Wales, how much of a discussion would we be having on Sunday morning? And how much talkback would we be getting off that compared to if the All Blacks were to lose to Japan? Like I say, I, I've been heavily involved in women's rugby in the last five weeks, love the product. Um, nothing but respect for what's going on for the growth of the game, but please don't tell me what I need to watch. Please don't shove it down my throat and please don't make me feel guilty if I choose not to watch it. Okay? It doesn't make me a misogynist. It doesn't take me a woman hate. It doesn't make me any of those things. Not at all. Because a lot of women's sports I genuinely do like and will genuinely go to my way to watch. Let's get the latest in news, sport and weather with John. It is 28 minutes away from 4 o'clock, uh, around about quarter two. We'll head across to SENZ, or SEN in Australia. We'll catch up with Julian King, and we'll talk all things Australians. But I think they're more interested, aren't they? They're going live, we're going live. They're probably more interested in what we've got to say, but I'm always interested to see what they say. Uh, just a text that's come in. Hey, what are my view on All Blacks and losing? I know we always need to aim high and not accept losses, but isn't losing a few games potentially our worst season ever? A good thing which will hopefully galvanise us for the World Cup. Or is Ian Foster just not good enough? That comes from Dave. Look, we just it's not our way. I just don't think we should ever accept the All Blacks losing. Um, you know, the World Cup, I think it's overthought. I think you don't really need to start thinking about it until maybe the three months prior. You can't control what injury is going to happen next season. Uh, will it galvanise us? Losses might give some of the Northern Hemisphere sides who come up against us a little bit more belief, and that might be a little bit unrealistic. I think we've lost enough this year to be galvanised. Galvanised or annoyed? I think we're more annoyed, aren't we? We still want to see change at the top. Um, Really disappointing to hear that off the back of the Super Rugby announcements, there's going to be more unrest and rotation of our leading players. I would have thought... The coaches manage some of the top players anyway when they come up against the lesser sides like the Melbourne Rebels, etc. Injury will always affect most players in a season and therefore those players get a break anyway through injury. And there's always the buy. I'm not sure why our top players need more rest. And I've harped on about this all day, but I'd love to just get Mark Robertson and the board of New Zealand Rugby in the studio and just ask them the questions of what part of this don't they get? How do they think this is good for New Zealand when you make it so top-heavy, when you make it all about the All Blacks? The problem when you make it all about the All Blacks is, and this is what they've done to us, they've moved us from being rugby fans to All Black fans. I mean, when you think of New Zealand rugby now, you think of the All Blacks. You don't think of the NPC. You don't think of the small unions. You don't think of the clubs. You just think brand All Blacks. But if you're going to put all your eggs in one basket, you need to win. And the problem was we're not. So then you've got nothing left. Um, someone texting in saying, Ken, is it? Mark, so much respect for the Women's World Cup, but all blacks come first in our family, just the way it is. Yeah, look, and it's going to take a long time for those habits to change, isn't it? I mean, look, there's probably about 
five teams realistically can still win the Men's Rugby World Cup. There's probably eight teams that can cause some upsets and knock each other over. The women's game at the moment, there's three. And in time, as this Women's World Cup evolves and the investment in women's rugby continues, the number of teams and the depth will increase. And as I said, so let just this thing organically grow. If you want to have your say, telephone number is 0800 150 You can text us here on 8833. I think there'll be a lot more interest in the Black Ferns next week when we take on France, when we genuinely don't know what the outcome is. Unknown quantity, good chance France will beat us. They've had the wood over us in recent years. Hi, JJ. Hey, mate, how are you? Good, thanks. Good. Hey, just want to um, back you up on a couple of things you said, right? I think um, good on you for, for for talking about the old politicising of the old black clash, is what they call it. I think you're bang on. I think it was a simple mistake. And I think a fair part of the media have got carried away in politicising, particularly the ministers and stuff, where they're getting involved. I think it's just a mistake. Yeah, it's a big mistake. It's a big mistake. Oh, I'm sick and tired of people telling us that the only relationship ever between men and women has been one of dominance. It's absolute rubbish, and that's how they portray it. Yeah, no, I'm with you, because I think that's the thing. I think it's actually detracting from the game and the event itself. We seem to be caught up around the around what's wrong with it rather than what's wrong. I think good on you for calling that out. I back you with that. Um, and the other one there, what I was just, what you said with the rest and rotation with the All Blacks, I think... I'm with you. I'd, I'd love to see them back playing in Super Rugby, and you know, and that's what I remember when I was a kid. Just going to watch the All Blacks play for their province, but we seem to be all about resting them and giving them this time off. And I think well, that's what's stopping us going to watch the game. Well, that seems so, that, well, just good on you for that, mate. Just no, shout out to you. No, JJ, just stay there for a minute because that's what I think uh, has been the general consensus from talkback I've taken. People are not going along because there's no longer the All Blacks. They're not there to watch their best players. See, the NRL, even if your team's crap, you know there's going to be superstars on the opposite team, brand athletes, and you go along and go, well, hey, you know, at least I got to see ex-player from the other team who's part of State of Origin. And New Zealand rugby need to learn that. But, JJ, I just want to know, when did rest and rotation actually help this all-black team? It didn't in 2019, it didn't this year, and we did the same thing. So how's it going to help this all-black team next year? Where is the proof? Oh, I'm, I'm not sure what I... And I'm with you. I think that's the thing, mate. It's like, it's a sport, you're going to get injuries. Not everyone's going to get injured, but you need to see them playing. How do, how do, you, how do you get any momentum into your game? How do you get yourself prepared if you're not playing? And I think, you know, old... I, is a good example of that. I'm not sure how often he's played the poor guy, but he seems to be more on the bench holding tackle bags than actually out there playing. And I'd rather see him play. No, I I, I would too. And if, he gets, and if he gets injured, he gets injured, and that's that and, part and, and parcel of, of being a pro rugby player, mate. And, and, you know, and, and I think you're bang on with the NRL. That's it. Well, the northern the northern hemisphere, the northern hemisphere, where the clubs fall outside of the unions and they're in private hands, they don't get to rest and rotate. We're the only professional comp in the world where the best players never play. I cannot believe how little our top players actually play, and I'm sick and tired of being told how tired they are and we don't get it. Rubbish. Over it. Hey, JJ, lovely having you on the program. Do appreciate it. It is coming up to twenty and a half minutes away from four.
Wato in the house. Instead of a staffy, it is 15 and a half minutes away from four. In one moment, we'll cross over and join our partners in Australia. Um, someone just texting in saying, please, please don't decide against season tickets for the Hurricanes when players I want to see will be arrested. And I think that sentiment is shared by a lot of rugby, play, uh, rugby public in this country. And why New Zealand can't see that their domestic product, Super Rugby, they've slowly eroded that as well, along with Club Rugby and the MPC. Right now. Are we on OB4, are we, Kay? Hey, right we, are oh, we, we do. We got him, Marco. Hello. Good, Julian. How are you, mate? I'm going very well. I was just saying that, you know, as a New Zealand fan, you had that rain out match against Afghanistan. You just, you're sitting pretty, aren't you? You're watching these teams go down to minnows to bash each other up, and you're just saying, okay, well, we'll stay nice and rested and ready to take on Sri Lanka and Sydney on the weekend. Yeah, look, it's a fickle game, though, T20, isn't it? It's sort of like yep. I think any time you take a game and you shorten it, it becomes a little bit more of a game of chance. I mean, imagine tennis was one set. How many times Federer and Nadal would have lost? Uh, look, yeah, it's an interesting one, the New Zealand one. I mean, I'm still not sure here in New Zealand we believe, even though we made the last T20 World Cup and we've made the last two one-day World Cup finals and won the Test Championship because of our, I guess, our lack of legacy. We still don't quite believe, and I'm still not sure that the rest of the world still take us seriously. So I'm sort of interested to see how you guys perceive us. We take you seriously now. (laughs) No, we always took you seriously. Look, the one thing that probably counted against you was the fact that you hadn't had a lot of success on Australian pitches. Well, you ambushed us at Sydney last weekend. You know, Finn Allen and Devon Conway, and I love Finn Allen. He's just... He just exudes confidence, and they came out of the blocks early. And and I thought it was going to be a template to see teams go hard in the power play. We haven't really seen that, but the wickets have been a bit tricky to bat on. So you cashed in, and it actually showed how well they played. And further to that, there's a good balance in your side too, Mark, because you go hard. If you drop one of those wickets early, well, then you've got the steady hand of a Kane Williamson just as insurance down the order. Australia sort of opted against picking Steve Smith and just going for sort of all out-and-out hitters and as a result, they're actually batting a bit more cautiously in the power play. You know, they're one from one at the moment, but we're going to see if it's the right tactical approach from the take on England in Melbourne tonight. Yeah, there's been a lot of criticism here in New Zealand over Gary Stead and Kane Williamson. Um, Gary Stead, the coach, Williamson, the captain, because our results haven't been great since that World Test Championship. And, you know, we've gone from Brendan McCullum to sort of this quite conservative approach, nothing innovative about the captaincy, nothing innovative about the play. And it was almost like last week prior to that Australian game, a conscious decision was made to empower our players and to just go at it. And so I think even here in New Zealand, we were surprised with the demolition that we did do on Australia. But I, I will say this, look, for as much success we have in sport and as much success, not clearly as much as what Australia has, I still think beating Australia in cricket in a big legacy-type match, and I put yeah. T20 cricket, the World Cup, I put World Cup T20 um, in that, there's still probably nothing better in this country than beating you guys. Um, <laughs> no, no, in all seriousness, uh, well, in all seriousness, no, no, we, we don't have a great fondness for the way we've been treated in the past, and I can remind all Australians exactly what some of those are. Um, so, yeah, um, yeah, we get we get drilled more often than not, but when it comes to World Cup and we get a victory, it, they are legacy moments, and they do, you know, do lift New Zealand here. There is a real sense of nationalism. Well, the thing about it is what I mean, you know, you've been beating us up in the rugby for the good part of the last 20 years or so. You, know, you could at least still let us have the cricket. Look, it's not over yet, but you needed a circuit breaker. You know, Gupta was gone, Latham was gone, and, and looks like they've made the right decision. Now, I mean, you could progress further in this competition. You could also potentially progress further than the Kangaroos in the Rugby League World Cup, 
Uh, destined semi-finalist, it would seem. You're playing Ireland, should be one-way traffic. But just running through this side, I mean, Manu, Mulatalo, Hiku, Nikora, Rapana, Brown, Hughes, front row, Bromwich, the Big Cheese, Fisher, Harrison, you've got Kenny Bromwich, Big Nelson, Asafa Solomona, Joe Tarpane, and then on the bench, Papali'i, Foran, Jared Warrior, Hargraves, and Isaac Liu. That is a serious football team. Probably the best forward pack in World Rugby League at the moment. Huge, I, huge. I can't remember the last time we said that. Look, there's there, there's a really nice look about this Kiwi side. I think the fact that we've got no Warriors players and it probably pleases a lot of people. Um, a lot of players that have sort of gone underneath the radar. We haven't had a lot of international rugby league for a long time. And so when this team was announced and named, yeah, it's been really, really positive around it too. We are, I think in the past a lot of Kiwi teams, we've looked at it on paper, but only for their hands to let them down or for just some decision making. But we just sort of sense with this team, this is a team that, perhaps can go one-on-one with Australia. And I, look, I, I still think you guys are the favourite. I think, you know, history proves that. Um, but like I say, I grew up in the 1980s. We had the odd win over um, the Kangaroos. Um, you know, iconic matches, which still are replayed here. And I'm sort of hoping that this younger generation get to experience that. Wouldn't it be nice if we won the <laughs> T20 Cricket World Cup, the Rugby League World Cup, and possibly the, well, women's, the women's Rugby, rugby World, World Cup. Cup? Yeah. Imagine that. That'd be quite the hat-trick, wouldn't it? It would. It Cricket, would. I mean, you'd, you know what? You'd always have a week's worth of public holidays if that were the case. Yeah, but mind you, you know. we, we might have some of our athletes stand up, take the moral high ground and do a little bit of virtue signalling, something that Australian athletes oh. seem to know a little bit about at <laughs> do the moment. Listen, I could, do we have to do that? I've put a ban on the word woke on this program, Mark. Yeah. Hey, I was just going to ask, though, in all seriousness, yes. I mean, yep. you know, it's, it's, it's a seriously big issue. I mean, I just think Pat Cummins is a complete and utter hypocrite, to be perfectly honest. I think oh. there's a little bit more legitimacy in the netball debate. But is the New Zealand, is the Australian netball team going to boycott the Commonwealth Games? Because I would have thought the Commonwealth Games, the monarchy, are a greater symbol of oppression. And when you look at things... Uh, uh, like colonisation. I mean, if you want to make a statement, don't go to the Commonwealth Games. Take your point. You know, it's a big rabbit hole that we're going to go down. You it know, is. Look, oh, just on Pat Cummins, and I've said this a lot in the past couple of weeks, and a lot of listeners don't agree with me. i got no issue with a captain having a say. He's entitled to have a say, but you put yourself out there. If people want to shout him down, call him mm. a hypocrite, well, that's their right. But I don't believe in muzzling players. I don't believe in this attitude that, you know, shut up and play. Yeah. You're the Australian captain. I mean, they're still citizens. Yeah, um, but he but, still has. But, yes, but do not tell the marketing department what they need to do. But I don't think he did. I think a lot of this was misreported. I, I spoke to the Cricket Australia CEO Nick Hockley on Friday night at a private function. He said so much of it was blown out of proportion. It, it never happened. They were off the table before Pat even mentioned it. He didn't once mention the word Alinta to the journalist. He said in a private conversation with Nick, said, "Look, down the track, you know, let's think about." who we partner with and whether the values of that organisation are in line yeah. with the values of our organisation. Yeah, yeah, so but I take your point. I think a lot of it was, was blown out of proportion, though. Yeah, but, you, I mean, look at corporate backing now. I mean, you dig deep. Most of them are going to have some sure. moral level of corruption. Where does it sure. all stop? What do you put the boundaries sure. around? It's a bit like the freedom well, of speech that, yeah, issue. That, that's a fair question. You know, it's a matter of degrees in the end, isn't it? Pardon yeah. the pun. Yes. Yeah. Okay, mate, thank you. We're out of time. Uh, good luck. New Zealand Wales, the quarterfinal Women's Rugby World Cup. And, of course, you're playing Ireland in the Rugby League World Cup in Sri Lanka this weekend. You may get the hat-trick. You never, never know. And if you do, Mark, I'll be the first one to congratulate. No, look, plenty of sport to look forward to. And all the best to your Australian teams across the various formats as well. Thank you, mate. There he is. Uh, Mark Watson. It is eight minutes away from four o'clock. Look, I... 
I just find this whole Australian thing just full and full of utter hypocrisy. Just this virtue signalling from these athletes. I'll say this: Look, I, I'm not Aboriginal. I can't imagine, and I know how poorly they've been treated, and the comments made by this the father of uh, this gentleman involved back in the 1980s regarding Aboriginals just just absolutely disgusting and appalling. But I think there are other ways of making a statement than perhaps the path that they've gone down. You know, you've only got to look at China and what's happening over there with the Uyghur Muslim minority and the ethnic cleansing that's going on by the Chinese government. Now, they're an ethnic minority. You know, where are the Australian athletes in regards to wearing products made in China? And the craze of Pat Cummings heading off to India to play in the IPL, 7% of world global emissions come out of India. They've got a, a class structure over there uh, that basically borders on, they call it a caste system, that basically borders on apartheid. My point is, do your homework, understand your statements, understand the consequences of it, and then make sure you got your bases covered because you will end up looking like a hypocrite at some point. Six minutes away from four. Hey, look, we are pretty much done and dusted for another afternoon here on SENZ, well, I should say, until the drive team kick in. Kimberly Downs will be alongside of Stephen Donald. They'll be on air very shortly. They'll have some more sports headlines, news and weather with John in a moment. Special thanks to Karen, Sam, the boys that have helped put the show together this afternoon. It's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure. Thank you to everybody that texted, that took the time to phone the programme, uh, who simply listened, who decided that I wasn't their cup of tea and maybe switched off or didn't and are still listening. Um, I say that with a smile on my face. Big weekend of sport. Look, if you're driving out there, do take care on the roads. Genuinely mean that. It's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure. Let's just fade that music up, give John the rousing reception that he welcomes, the velvet voice of new sport and weather. Moments away, Kimberly down, Stephen Donald up after that. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.